Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. It is the Offside Leafs preview show. Myself, James, hosting with my co-host as always, Mr. Josh Egan. Got to remember the camera is backwards. I'm pointing over there, and he's not there. He's over here, over there, whatever which way it is, but he's here. Josh, are you excited? Two days away, Leafs opener, no Austin Matthews, bum wrist. Kind of figured that was going to happen, but hey, guess who drafted John Tavares in his fantasy pool, and we'll now get to see him ride shotgun with Mr. Mitchie Marner. Yeah, uh, I got my uh, Sabres jersey on, so I'm actually ready for the start of the Buffalo series, but I'm going to switch it over to the Leafs jersey just for you, James. Oh, look at you go. Well, we're going to have a banger of a show tonight. Obviously, we're starting it off with Tic Tac Tomar coming through to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. He is the man behind Yahoo Sports for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Got the old podcast going on. Also talking all the gifts he does every single game. So if you want to see everything broken down to the minuscule amount, including Ilya Mikheyev's wrist handbrake that happened, he had that literally seconds after it goes down. This man misses nothing. So he's joining us first. Then, of course, we have Clark Monroe. We have Terry Koshan, David Alter. We have Dave McCarthy stopping by, Alex Hobson. The list goes on and on. Tonight it is a Leafs preview show, Leafs heavy. So if you want something answered, well, if you haven't sent your question along, I guess we're not going to answer it. But everything you wanted answered probably will be answered right here tonight. Josh, what are you looking forward to the most? Meaningful hockey. Um, I was getting tired of the preseason and everybody trying to draw conclusions based on a preseason lineup or a preseason play. It's like, guys, come on. Let's get to the real stuff here. Also, I think it's indicated these guys play way too many preseason games anyway. I think Carolina had it right by trying to sneak it in and only play four preseason games and it sounds like Montreal ratted on them and I don't know what you're going to do about that can you make them play two more preseason games probably not it's too late for that now um yeah these guys play way too many preseason games that results in injuries like look at McKay if they had just played four preseason games he would have been fine so I don't know let's get to the real stuff here I mean we're kicking it off tomorrow with Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh and then the late game is going to be Vegas and Seattle so that's going to be fun to see it's going to be awesome to see how ESPN delivers on this new deal with their product um Gary Bettman was on, uh, I think it was like a, a morning breakfast show in the States today, hyping up the start of the NHL season. He teased some celebrity involvement from the names of Justin Bieber. It's going to help him kick off the season. So we'll see where that goes. And there's a bunch of stories going into this season. So I'm just excited to get going. And I'm sure in two weeks we'll already be sick of Leafs hockey and we'll be hating his team again. But until then, let's get rolling. I'm very excited for the season to start. No, it's going to be amazing. So let's get our first guest on here right away. We're going to be bringing on Mr. Tic Tac Tomar. So, Josh, I look forward to the beginning of East Leafs season because I want to get the the hoopla out of the way. I want to get the, you know, the problems that all Leafs Nation had the season before. I want it gone, and I want to enjoy what's about to take place. And I don't know. For me, it's a little, uh, a little bit uh, going to be fun this year. I think so. We got a lot of guys that are, you know, expected to make a little bit of noise, but. Uh, Right now, just haven't had the opportunity to. And as you all can tell, I'm stalling until Tic Tac Omar gets here. Yeah, I mean, I sure, I'm sure we'll touch on this, but Adam Brooks was expected to make this team. Um, and when he was waived today, I saw it coming. Teams would be nuts not to grab this guy. But everybody was acting like we had lost the next great player. Like, guys, this is Adam Brooks. I think, it, like... Over his career, he hasn't really had a breakout performance. He was a solid, steady, replacement-level player. Do you know what's great about replacement-level players? They're, they're easily replaceable. Re- they're easily replaceable. 
exactly. So you grab another guy on waivers that comes up, um, just like the Seattle Kraken did today. They grabbed that guy whose name I can't remember. They grabbed a guy off waivers who's going to be a solid replacement level player for them. So, you know, don't stress over the small stuff. Otherwise, it's going to be a very long season for you. Another one I saw people freaking out about was Austin Matthews is now out for three games with his wrist injury. He's not 100% yet. It's an 82-game season. Let's get him healthy, get him in there when he's ready to go so he doesn't re-aggravate a wrist injury, and then all of a sudden, instead of three games, it's 30 games, and then it's 35 games, and now he's missing the first round of the playoffs. So let the guy get healthy. Let the... People they have on the team already do their work. William Nylander's going to have a big start. He always does. John Tavares is going to want to come storming back. Mitch Marner is going to be looking to prove a bunch of people wrong. And then the new guys are going to want to make their impact. Wayne Simmons is going to be flying out there. He hasn't played in front of a uh, sold-out Scotiabank Arena in a Leafs jersey before. This is People forget that. A lot of the guys who were here last year, whose first NHL seasons it was, or their first season as a Leaf, they haven't played in front of fans in Toronto for what, two years now? So that's going to be awesome to see. There's a lot of positivity going into this year, but there's also a lot of questions. But my personal mindset, I'm going to try and avoid the negativity this year because it made last season very, very long. So I take that advice if you want to, but that's that's going to be my personal approach. No, but here's the other thing too. We're so used to these condensed seasons, whether it's the you know the bubble playoffs or then it's the 56 game season that I think a lot of people are very you know, anxious. Oh, well, Matthews is out for a week. You know that puts us behind the eight ball right away. Not knowing and not remembering that it's an 82 game slog. That these guys are probably going to miss time here, there, and everywhere. So it's going to be a bit of a problem for I think people to get their heads around those things. And get back to the normal 82-game grind and understand, hey, this is uh, the way that things are going to be shaking out. But I also look at this season and I say, Josh, you talk about Austin Matthews not being there, but this is an opportunity for guys to step up. We're all wanting to fire Kerfoot into the sun earlier in this offseason because we wanted to get that cap space to be able to have different younger guys you know, mixed in throughout this lineup. Well, he's looking like a savior right now, going to be riding the second C roll. So, you know, maybe uh, – Maybe he redeems himself in the eyes of Leafs Nation as well. <laughs> yeah, another question we have with this team, and I'm sure we'll get it into depth with this later on in the show with a couple of our guests. Goaltending, what's that going to look like? Um, you know, we have oh Peter. Mraz- you know, we got Peter Mrazek. We got Jack Campbell. Both solid goaltenders, both capable of playing 40 games. Are either one of these guys capable of playing 50? Uh, 55 or is it going to be a 1a 1b james reimer jonathan brunier type situation so that's another thing i have my eyes on uh also the approach that sheldon keith takes this season we all watched all or nothing or there's some people who say that they didn't watch it i'm calling bullshit everybody watched that if you're a hockey fan you wanted to check it out you'd hate watch it if you had to so I want to see how he approaches this year. Is he going to be looking for those Stanley Cup habits still? Is he going to be enforcing those? Is he going to be even harder on the guys? Because I thought he was pretty hard on them last year. So we'll see how he approaches that. There's a lot of pressure on the front office this year as well. So it's going to be real, real interesting to see how they adjust throughout the season if they have a tough stretch, um, which – all teams have, you lose five in a row, you lose six of seven, you lose six of 10, how they adapt to that and how they overcome those challenges throughout the season. Well, I saw a funny tweet today. I think it was Bardown sent out the uh, the odds of um, Peter Morazic leading the Leafs to the promised land and being a Vesna candidate goaltender. 
uh, had to chuckle at that. And the man hasn't even played between the pipes for the Toronto Maple Leafs yet. And already we're getting this kind of hoopla around it. So mm-hmm. buckle up, Mr. Morazic. Uh, it's going to be a thing of the, uh, the the Leafs this season. But as we uh, hinted here just a couple of moments ago, Mr. Tic Tac Omar is about to join us. Here he is. Hey, how's it going? Hey, what's hey. going on, buddy? Oh, you know, just, you know, just the, the usual stuff. You know, getting over Adam Brooks getting waived, so that, that's great. <laughs> but you know, there there are there, there are better things. Yeah, there there are better things to, to get upset about. You know, it's, it's the Leafs after all, right? No, for sure. Well, thanks for joining us on this uh, Leafs preview show. Obviously, a good lineup tonight. But I wanted to get you on. You're you're kind of a guy that gets everything caught by the moment. And uh, I wanted to ask you about the other night to jump right into her. Uh, Ilya Mikheyev goes down. Um, you know, everybody else kind of thought it was a harmless play, but you had it right like that. What's it like capturing those moments and kind of being, I guess, like the uh, the go-to guy to find things? It used to be Flintor, but now it's definitely you. So what's it like to capture those moments and have everybody feedback off of you? Um, yeah, it definitely is cool. And I, I think the, the thing that that's great about it is that um, generally when it comes to moments like what happened with Mikheyev, there are a lot of question marks. Um, you generally you'll just see a, a tweet from like one of the insiders or like a, like Christian Schultzen or Elliot Friedman or, or Chris Johnson that just says, you know, blank player isn't on isn't on the um, isn't on the bench. And then everyone's like, oh, what happened? What happened? Uh, so it's nice to be able to, get, I guess, uh, give Leafs fans um, that kind of insight into like, hey, here's what happened or here's possibly um, what could have happened here. And and to your point, James, like it, it did, did look like a kind of like a nothing play. Uh, you definitely do see him kind of fall over the boards. But then when you get the replay and you see zooms in, you definitely see him land on his hand. And then now we learned just recently that um, he broke his thumb. He's going to be out for, um, I think, minimum eight weeks. So uh, it definitely is is cool to kind of help um, help out Leafs Twitter and Leafs fans who you know, who may, may not be watching the game at the time or who maybe who, who missed something, who misses something, and they can kind of uh, come and get a, get a view of it there. Um, but, yeah, and no, no one can replace uh, Flinter. He's a, you know, he was he was a god as far as uh, uh, making uh, gifts and capturing those moments. Um, so I'm, I'm happy that I'm able to kind of step in and, uh, and help out these fans there. No, for sure. So you look at the season, what is one thing you're looking forward to? Obviously, we all know how last year ended and the city was burning. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> is, uh, is burning with a different fire right now. Everybody's kind of happy to have the Leafs back, obviously. And we and Josh were just talking about it off the top. People got to wrap their heads around this is an 82-game grind this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, people freaking out about the Austin Matthews injury. But you really need to understand there's 82 games. It's a different slog than the 56. Uh, you have more time. You can make up different things when injuries happen. But for you, what are you looking forward to out of this squad? And, you know, now that the city's kind of not on fire, what what are you looking forward to? Yeah, I'm just I'm just interested to see how how they handle the the highs and how they handle the lows. And when I say that is because when watching the the Leafs All or Nothing um documentary, one thing that kind of bothered me was how overly confident they seemed. Now, obviously, it made sense because they wound up winning, winning the North Division. But just, just I, you, it's it's tough not to see that, that I guess that overconfidence and be like, yeah, you know, maybe that kind of that's what that's what kind of happened in the playoffs. Maybe you know the the Habs humbled them a little bit. Um, and you know, during during the regular season, there are moments where they just didn't have their game. They kind of let games you know let slip out of their fingers. So I think what I'm interested to see is. Because before I, I didn't care about the regular season, I was like they can go eighty two and zero, and I wouldn't care until they get to the playoffs. But I'm actually interested to see if they if they legitimately take the regular season seriously every single game, whether it's a game in October or if it's a random February on a Tuesday night. 
at five o'clock? Do are they taking every single game seriously? And how are they going about winning their games? Are they still trying to go for the highlight reel plays or do they realize that like we need to score some garbage goals here, here or there, or we need to kind of, you know, step up for our goaltender. We need to do some of those extra little things that are so important in the playoffs and they've seen it firsthand. And I think the, the best thing about Keith and again, going back to the documentary is from the, from the beginning of the season, he was saying, Hey, we're winning games, but we're not winning them the right way. You know, there are moments where the game should be over and we let the opponent creep back in. And then instead of winning 5-1, we're winning 6-5, right? When the, when the other the opposition had no business being there. So I think it would be interesting that Sheldon Keefe now can, can pinpoint those moments and say, hey, hey, we're not necessarily playing the way you want to play. Do you remember what happened last year? Do I need do I need to show up on the screen? We're up 3-1 and then we lost. So I think that'll be interesting to see is, is how energized and how motivated and serious the players take this season because it definitely seems as if they're really trying to communicate this kind of um last dance this is our last opportunity with them with the at least the core four or maybe some others morgan riley doesn't have a deal jack campbell doesn't have a deal right so this could be the last opportunity for a lot of these players that have been leased for so long to actually get something done so that's i think that's what i'm going to be interested to see is uh how they how they go about the course of the season what's your Sorry, James. What's your uh, what's kind of the temperature check on the the fan base on Twitter? Because I'm on there quite a bit. I imagine you're on there mm-hmm. a lot more than I am. <laughs> uh, just kind of checking in with everything, current trends and comments and all that. What's this fan base feeling like right now? Because from what I'm seeing, there's a lot of overreactions and very few level-headed people. Is that just my feed? I need to reevaluate who I'm following, or is, does that seem to be the general consensus? Yeah, that is kind of the general consensus. I think when I think when it um because overall when it comes to the Leafs is Murphy's law, right? Whatever can go wrong does go wrong. And I think I think what happened last year really really enhanced that to the sense that the smallest things we we Leafs fans are kind of creating all of these like all of these fantasy narratives. Like, you know, like Adam Brooks gets waived, gets claimed, and people are freaking out like oh he could have played this many minutes he could have he could have been the third line center in these situations and it's like or maybe let's just trust the players we have in front of us and i think that's the big thing is that least fans do not trust this team last year our walls were down we were all in we were like this is going to be the uh, the easiest path to the conference final in in years and we we let our walls down and we were just slapped in the face so i think because our walls are back up um, any little thing that takes place, there's overreaction to it. And any good things that take place, we're not necessarily willing to say, hey, that was a good thing. It's like, a, okay, that was good, but go win around. Or that was good, okay, but do it in the playoffs, right? Um, Michael Bunting had a great preseason. Okay, well, let's see how he does in the regular season, or let's see how he does in the, in this sense. Andre Koshels looked okay. Okay, well, let's see how he does here. Jack Campbell, Peter Mrazic, they've looked pretty solid so far. Okay, well, let's see how they do in in December. So I think there's there's an apprehension there's apprehension to really um, uh, trust what the team is 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 uh, is kind of doing and and trust that it's actually going to be sustainable because we've never seen it. You know, the Leafs, you know, historically have been very streaky where they're good for, for, for some stretches, they're bad for stretches, and then they kind of maybe have like a lull period. So I think it's the, the overall just lack of lack of trust that fans have in the team that's really uh, leading to a lot of the overreactions that we're seeing on Twitter. 
Yeah, for sure. Like the biggest overreaction today was to the Adam Brooks being claimed by yeah. Montreal. And yeah. I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I said before we had you on, he's like at the end of the day, guys, he's a replacement level player who yep. can probably grab somebody on waivers to be better than or at least replace what he was mm. bringing. So and he yeah. wasn't bringing much because he wasn't playing games. So I don't yeah. know why everybody was freaking out about it. Yeah, exactly. Or even call someone up where right? there are a lot of Mar like yeah. the Marlies are stacked right now. There are a lot mm -hmm. of Marlies who you could argue can step in the NHL right now. Right. So yeah. like, yeah, losing Adam Brooks for nothing sucks just because and again, it kind of goes back to last year as well. How like we lost Jimmy VC and, 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 um, and Trey and, um, and, uh, and, and Brody and stuff, not Brody, sorry, Brody. Yes. Um, so, uh, so it kind of goes into that, but yeah, there, there are a lot of replacement players that you can just call up and to your point, you know, Adam Brooks was that, and you know, yeah. sucks that he couldn't kind of do more with his opportunity, but you know, there, are, you know, if, if it comes down to the least winning a playoff series, it's not be, going to be because of Adam Brooks, right? It's going to be it's, because, yeah, it's going to be because of the big four. Uh, so, <laughs> it's it's the Toronto effect, right? Like, yeah, I, 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 you see it with these big markets. Like, I saw a, a, a poll today where NHL writers, it was on NHL.com, where this was an example of it, where NHL writers were voting on a Calder for, at the beginning of the year, and they had Cole Caulfield at like 70 votes and Trevor Zegers at 45, and I took yeah. it out, and I, I said, if Trevor Zegers played in Montreal and Cole Caulfield was in Anaheim, this would be reversed. Yep, absolutely. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. So we look at this season coming into it, and we say, okay, that goaltending tandem of Mrazek and Campbell, and I made the uh, the joke earlier about Bardown saying that Mrazek is a six plus sixteen hundred to win the uh, the Vesna with the Leafs, and those tweets are already coming out. What oh, pressure boy. do you think is on this uh, this tandem already? Um, Mrazek obviously hasn't played for the Maple Leafs yet. Campbell has no deal for Campbell. Uh, obviously wants to play for one. Loves being here by all accounts. How, what pressure do you think is on this tandem this year? And how hard do you think Sheldon Keefe one, rides one guy over the other? He's already split the first two games up. Obviously, it's a back-to-back. -back, mm -hmm. But what do you see it being? Do you see it being Campbell's crease and his opportunity to run with it? Or is he going to go back and forth until someone says, hey, this is my ball and I'm going to run with it? Yeah, I think it, I think that's kind of going to be the plan. I think they're they're going to hope to to obviously have Mrazek and Campbell uh, support each other, but also to have some of, uh, some of that um, competition, but not competition in the sense where you know you feel like every decision you do in the net is is, is criticized and that kind of uh, reduces your play. But hopefully, it's just like you know. Uh, Campbell can have a, a good night, and then Mrazic will watch Campbell have a good night and be like, okay, so I have to be on my game, and then vice versa. I think as far as the pressure goes, definitely the pressure is on Campbell because you know he's the one who doesn't have a deal, right? Like Mrazic has two years after this season, whereas Campbell is, is heading into a UFA season where he hasn't necessarily signed a long-term uh, deal with the team, and his trajectory into the NHL has been so shaky as it is, but it, it definitely is looking like he's kind of starting to shape himself out as a, as a solid goaltender. Maybe not a number one yet, or maybe not a number one at all, but I think he can see this season as a, as a year where it's like, I can really define who I am, not only on the lease, but around the league. So I think there's more pressure there. And then, yeah, I think what Keith is going to do, and I think what he's going to do with a lot of players, not just the goaltending, is say like, hey, whoever is playing well is going to get the taps. They're going to get the opportunities to play. And if you're not playing well, then you're out. You're going to sit. And I think that's that's what so I think that's something that that Keith wanted to do last season. But again, you know, the, the injury to, to Tavares was so was so bad. And it just, it was so, um, and it was just really, really, I guess, I guess handcuffed Keith into what, what he could do. Now, granted, I think there are some other things he could have, he could have done, but you know, that's just, you know, semantics at, at this point. But I think, I think Keith is really going to have that, that perspective heading into this, this season as whoever is, is getting results for us is going to play. 
right? So you look at like outside of goaltending, you look at that left side where you know with Richie and Bunting and well before with Mikaya before he got injured and um and Kerfoot, and you could theoretically slot them in any position, even Engvall as well, right? But no one is necessarily locked into a position right now, and they can they could all either play up into the lineup or play themselves down, right? Like, like pure Engvall was literally probably not even going to be on the team. Maybe they, they they maybe they do some something to or maybe they something else would work out where he wouldn't be an NHL regular. But then you know he plays really well in the, in the preseason. Okay, well that's a different story. So now players like Michael Bunting really need to kind of you know make sure that you're actually stepping up, stepping on your game and actually producing because I think Keith isn't really isn't afraid to reward the players who are playing well and and um and bring down the players who are not playing well or may or at the same time are being a liability. Right, and the prime example of that is we look at the blue line, where it looks like Timothy Lilligren is gonna is gonna play in that season opener ahead of Travis Dermott. Now, before you would think, okay, well, usually the tie goes to the veteran, but Lilligren has had a better preseason than Dermott, and he's getting rewarded for it. So I think that speaks to what Keith's mentality is going to is going to be heading into the season when it comes to overall who plays, but especially when it comes to the goaltending. I think if I think he'll allow. Campbell and Mirazic to kind of battle and challenge each other. But if one goaltender is definitely getting the results and that goaltender is going to play. No, 100%. Well, before I let you go tonight there, Mr. Gif of all gifts, um, <laughs> the Toronto Maple Leafs this season, I want to ask you, um, do you see them finishing first in the Atlantic? I asked that question because Boston with their goaltending situation, no Tuka Rask, relying on Linus Allmark. I see Josh making the face. Then obviously you have Chris. Sorry, I, I, I thought you were going to say Boston was going to finish first because no, of no, 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 no. Then you have uh, Tampa Bay. Obviously, you cannot discount the fact that they went deep twice. Yeah, they lost their entire third line. Um, the Stanley Cup hangover in an 82 game season slog is uh, definitely going to be something. So I want to ask you: Do the Maple Leafs have a legitimate chance of being number one in the Atlantic Division? I mean. Yes, but at the same time, again, it's the Murphy's Law thing that kind of that kind of creeps up. Is like you know what can go wrong, right? You know who knows if the Leafs get hit with a whole bunch of a whole bunch of injuries, or who knows if if they they end up not being able to to overcome um, a lot of those issues from last season. And and then and the thing that I guess I really need to think about is how good the Atlantic Division is, and how many how many teams can be very very annoying. Like yeah, you already mentioned Boston and Tampa. The Florida Panthers got better, right? Well, um, well let's park that one there because yeah. uh, when I when I see Uyghur, Ekblad, Forsling, Gudis, Nunavara, Montour on defense, mm-hmm. I'm not exactly quaking in my space boots. Oh, so yeah, you, absolutely. You, sh- you, absolutely. Should, you should be with Uyghur and Ekblad. Mm. That top one's yeah. great, but then your bottom next four are not so uh, – I'm not so worried about that. Yeah, not for sure. But if, if Spencer Knight decides to freaking shut the door on you every single game – Right, like if he's if he's as good as many people are projecting him to be, and the Florida Panthers they can score goals. So if you can score goals and not allow not allow many, obviously you know your goaltender will have to be overworked. That could that could squeeze out a couple wins here or there, right? Like you know we've seen it with Montreal for years. Montreal has never been a, a fantastic team from top to bottom, but they've been able to score goals and they've got great goaltending. So it's like so obviously. On paper, yeah, you definitely look like the Leafs are a top three team. But I think that's why this season is so important is because not only are the regular season games important, also the regular season games are going to be difficult or at least harder than they than they might expect, right? Montreal will still try to win games. 
Ottawa's going to try to win games, even though they don't have Brady Kachuk yet, right? A lot of those teams are going to be trying to win games. Those wild card spots could theoretically go right to me- to Metro teams. The Metro division is stacked. The Rangers are the Rangers are, are looking to take a step. The Islanders are still good. Washington's still good, right? So it, it may end up being five Metro teams, and then only five Metro teams where two are taking the wild card spots, and then only three Atlantic Atlantic spots, and that's it. That's that's kind of scary to, to look at so it just depends on whether the players have legitimately learned from last year that's what it's going to come down to we can talk about how many goals Matthews is going to score we can talk about how many points Marner is going to get we can talk about Tavares and Nylander being a great a great duo on that second line but it just comes down to whether the players remember and whether they actually mean mean what they say and we, they say a lot of things after every single playoff collapse these are lessons these are lessons these are growing pains. We need to we need to learn and move on from this. Okay, well now was the time. Like now, this is the season to prove if you've actually learned. If they have learned, then I have no qualms. I have no concerns about them this this regular season. But if a lot of those same those same issues that we've seen year after year appear, then they they may make things harder for themselves than they than it needs to be. But right now, for my gut, I I see them I see them being a playoff team for sure. Maybe in that second, maybe in that second spot in the Atlantic. But you know, who knows when it comes to this team, right? Well, we'll look forward to it all season long. Obviously, you dropping gifts, and hopefully, we get you on midway through. I want to say thank you very much for uh, swinging by on the Leafs preview show for Offside tonight, um, my friend. I can't wait to uh, see you pop out some gifts on Wednesday night. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, no bud. problem. Bye. All right, so as we tease off the top of the show, the next guest coming on, he is the man, the Toronto correspondent for NHL.com, SiriusXM, host of the Sunday Brunch. He is Mr. Dave McCarthy. He's here with us to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. My friend, you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs this year, and you say, in what? What one word comes to mind about this squad? Uh, one word. That's a really good question. I would say uh, pressure. I think there's pressure on this team right now to finally find a way to get it done um, under this iteration of the group, the the Matthews, Nylander, Marner, if you even want to throw in by an extension Tavares era, uh, there have been very high expectations on this group, but they have yet to find a way to achieve any kind of tangible success. And quite frankly, I don't know how much longer, um, certainly ownership, but even maybe more by extension, the, the fan base will be willing to... Um, extend the team any more latitude at this point if they continue to fall well below expectations so um, that's the word that i would have to go with pressure like i don't want to say it's a last dance connotation like that documentary about the chicago bulls but because we forget they had actually won championships leading up to that that year in this case it's you know kind of a a last dance situation because i think if 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 the season goes the way it has in recent years um, in other words, if they, they're out early in the first round or if, heaven forbid, they don't make the playoffs. And I don't think that's necessarily a, a given either in this difficult Atlantic division. Uh, there will be changes, I, I think, because how much longer can you continue with the same uh, approach where it yields no results before you arrive at the conclusion that it's time to try something else? Yeah, it's like, not a last dance. It's a last chance. There's your... There's your headline, but uh, it's going to be, it's definitely one of those years where if it doesn't work out, this team's got to be blown up. You probably see Morgan Riley leave, probably see one of the big four traded, and then who knows after that with the front office and everything. That's just. See, 
kind of what with, I see. The thing with Morgan Riley is he may well leave one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and that's the unfortunate part of it, unless they they come to the conclusion that it is necessary to reallocate some resources. In other words, cut from up front to make sure you maintain something of consequence on the back end. Because I don't know about you guys, I, you follow the news over the off season. If you're an elite level defenseman, it's like uh, it's like an episode of Oprah out there this summer. You get nine million, and you get nine million, and everybody yeah. gets nine million. And Morgan Riley, he's he's going to get you know minimum minimum eight, but you get into a bidding war. Um, there will be a team, whether it's the Leafs or not, willing to offer him a great deal of money if he has any semblance of a half-decent season. Um, and, and regardless of which way it goes, he may he may leave one way or the other for the Leafs, which would be unfortunate. So you look at Morgan Riley, and I asked the question, and the, the term hometown discount was floated a lot. With all those deals being signed, what's a hometown discount look like for Morgan Riley then? Is it 7-5 then? You know, take 500 k off? Or what does it look like? Is it eight million because everybody else got nine? I don't know. But if if he's willing to stay and take a haircut, that's great for the lease. But what's a haircut now after we got paid? Quite frankly, um, if I'm Morgan Riley and uh, I answer the phone, and I'm I'm not speaking as though this is what Morgan's told me. I'm just putting myself in his shoes. Let's just be clear here. But but if I'm in his shoes, and and I get a phone call from Kyle Dubas. And he says, hey, Morgan, look, we really want you around, but look, you, you got to log on to capfriendly.com, have a look at our cap structure. We're kind of up against it right now. Need you need to give me a few dollars back. I hang up the phone immediately if I'm Morgan Riley because, quite frankly, uh, nobody else had to take a hometown discount. Um, <laughs> nobody else even took a reasonable contract, quite frankly. Um, everybody got overpaid. Um you know, and that's not to take a, a shot at, at Austin or, or Mitch because uh, a credit to them, they found a way to get the most money that they possibly could. Every single one of us here on this panel, if we were in a position like that, um, if that was available to us, we'd go down that road. So I credit them for that. But, you know, Mitch Marner is overpaid right now by by probably, what's he making, 10 9 He's, he's probably overpaid by two and a half million bucks. Let's just be honest here, right? That's a lot of money. Austin Matthews, um, he, look, he can't argue with what the, with what he's able to do in the regular season, but, um, you know, could he, could you have given him, could you, could, could there have been a deal there at 10-5? Well, then there's another million bucks. Well, there's suddenly you're looking at three and a half. Um, William Melander, I know 6-9 is a pretty decent deal for what he's able to deliver, but the way that deal was negotiated yeah. set precedent to suggest that if you um, stick to your guns, you will eventually get exactly what you want. So, you know, there's maybe 500K more there than there should have been. Well, now we're looking at 4-4 four, four and change. Um, all of a sudden, that's, hey, maybe Zach Hyman's still around, whatever it is. That's what I'm saying. So no one else took took hometown discounts let alone um reasonable deals they all got all of the money and more so if i'm morgan and you come to me now as the only guy of real consequence on the back end and you say to me well hey i'm gonna need you to take a you know a million dollars like i'm sorry no thanks like i may want to stay in toronto and zach hyman i can tell you wanted to stay in toronto as well but um, the, 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 the offer that was extended to him was in no way comparable to what Edmonton was capable of doing. And at the end of the day, 
he had to take the the offer that that just made the most financial sense. So um, that that's kind of where it comes down to hometown discount. Um, that works in Tampa Bay, boys. When um, Steven Stamkos took eight five, when he could have probably taken ten, and then Nikita Kucherov took nine and a half, and then Vasilevsky took nine and a half. So if I'm Braden Point, okay, well, nine and a half's good for me too. When I probably could have gotten ten and a half or eleven. See what I mean? That works yeah, in Tampa. Yeah. Doesn't work in Toronto. So it, it, it's not even a discussion worth having, quite frankly, if I'm Morgan Riley. Well, let's talk about the season that's going to be for the Toronto Maple Leafs and the additions they did make. Obviously, we started off a little doom and gloom about the pressure and the Morgan Riley. So let's talk about some <laughs> happiness, obviously. Um, you look at this Leafs team, and they did do some things with the limited cap space they had, bringing in Michael Bunting, bringing in Nick Ritchie, uh, you know, bringing in guys to fill out this roster. David Camp, obviously our poor man's, uh, I guess, comparable to De- you know Deneau. Who shut down our best players? You know he's he's tasked with doing those same things. You know yeah. you heard Keith say it. So I'm wondering for you, all of these additions to this lineup obviously help bolster it in one way or another, whether it's physical play, this, that, or the other. Do you think this iteration of the Maple Leafs is a step better than last year's Maple Leafs? And I ask that because if you look at just from a pure point standpoint, they're not losing the goals they lost with Hyman. They still get that with Richie, 15 for 15. That's still there. The intangibles are different. Yes but the actual offensive output is still there. You look at Thornton, he tailed off towards the end of the season, so if you're bringing in Michael Bunting as a replacement for that, obviously a more energy, uh, greasy little rat he was called. Um, And then David Camp is that center you've been coveting that can do the defensive thing, and that goes back two seasons now where they want Kerfoot, Mikheyev, and such to be that defensive. So do you see these pieces giving this team a better chance at a complete game, PK, power play, and going forward? Yeah, I'll put it this way. I was skeptical coming into training camp, but with what I've seen in practices and um, the roles that they've kind of carved out for guys during preseason, I'm a little bit more optimistic. There's still a lot of hope involved here because um, if if there was assurance in what you were going to get, um, you'd be paying guys a lot more than a million bucks, one, yep. one and change, two million bucks. You'd be getting Zach Hyman, who you're paying five and change for, right? So you know what you're going to get if you're getting Zach Hyman in Edmonton. Um, in, in Toronto right now, you hope that Nick Ritchie, for the first time finally in his career, is going to be able to, one, put together the consistency that he's never been able to do, to use the size that he has as a significant advantage um, and, and take advantage of that, and then three, find a way to to mesh with with Matthews and Marner um, so far so good uh, Michael Bunting I'll be honest I, I've, I've liked what I've seen out of this guy he's not yeah. the biggest guy in the world by any stretch but he's willing to go to the net and um, not everybody is willing to do that it takes something up here to be wanting to do that regardless of what size you are because there are some guys that are built like condominiums in the NHL that have no interest in going to the front of the net so even though he's not the biggest guy, he seems to be willing to do it. He needs to continue to be willing to do it, I think, in order to have success. And if he does, I think he, he will be relatively effective. Um, it's unfortunate now that Mikheyev's out for two months because he was having a really nice camp. But, you know, now that'll open up a, an opportunity for somebody else. David Camp, I can tell you, the, the, the management group of this team has been eyeing for quite some time. And they've identified him as a guy that, as you said, can take on some of those minutes to try to shut down other teams' top players. And what that does 
is it might uh, lessen the load, unburden a guy like John Tavares, so to speak, in having to take on some of those heavier minutes, in Austin having to take on some of those heavier minutes so that it frees them up for uh, more production offensively. A lot of teams are starting to go down this road. As another example, I talked to Luke Robitaille back in the summertime from the Kings, uh, a team that could not score to help themselves last year. They, I think they were 27th in the league in goals. And I said, man, Luke, you're paying <laughs> paying Philippe a lot of money, and this guy doesn't shoot it in the net all that often. How's that going to help you um, in, in terms of scoring goals? And he said, well, the way we see it, um, it's going to help Ozzy, Ozzy Kopitar, score more. In other words, he was the guy that was taking on a lot of those heavy minutes. He was starting the defensive zone a lot of the time. And then uh, by the, the time he, he got the, his own end under control and got it out, we'd have to get off the ice. Well, now Deno can take on those minutes. You start Kopitar in the, in the offensive end. It'll help him produce more. That's what they're seeing in L.A. And I think Sheldon Keefe is going to use a similar approach to David Camp. Give him some of those tough defensive zone minutes. Um, and then free up guys like Austin and John and those lines in more offensive situations. They're already good offensive players. They could be maybe even better this year, unburdened to an extent. So that's encouraging. Um, so I guess the, the long-winded answer is I'm more encouraged than I was at the beginning of camp, but there's still, to me at least, a lot of uh, let's wait and see what we get once the games uh, mean something. How big of a loss was Adam Brooks to this team today? Because I see a lot of people freaking out about it, and I'm, I'm thinking in my head, and I should have – I don't like getting into Twitter arguments anymore. Uh, but he's he's a replacement-level player who you could find on waivers, which is exactly what happened to him. Am I underthinking that, overthinking it, or is that pretty much dead on? No, I think you're pretty much bang on. Look, I mean – the amount of people who, as you said, Josh, lose their minds. Absolutely, I'm oh. sorry. Excuse my language, but there's some people on there who just lose their absolute fucking minds about it. Like it's crazy, and I love it. <laughs> We're allowed to let it rip on this show, are we? Okay. I think. Um, oh, yeah. Everybody. yeah. Um, well, no. Like, here, here's the thing, right? If 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 you're on waivers, it's that the team doesn't see a role for you right now within their top 12 or 13 forwards. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It means that they think they've got other guys who are better than you. So name me the last time a team um, has won the Stanley cup or not based on the comings or goings of a 15th forward. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying here? Yeah. So look, a Adam Brooks is a nice player. I thought when, when he got in the lineup last year, I thought he was, he was pretty good. I, I liked what I, what I saw out of Adam Brooks, but then you sit back and you ask yourself, okay, well, if you wanted to keep him around, in other words, not put him on waivers, who's coming out of this lineup? Well, can he take on David Camp's minutes? Well, no, I don't think he can. I don't yeah. think you want Adam Brooks going up against, um, you know, Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov or uh, Patrice Bergeron or Nick's, you know what I mean? You, yeah. you don't want him going up against that. Okay, well, um, what about Jason Spezza? Do we want him centering the fourth line? Well, no, because Jason Spezza can, one, he's a, he help you in a variety of ways. One, he's a great uh, face-off guy. Um, he's far better than Adam Brooks in that role. Two, um, yep. He's a guy that essentially quarterbacks the second power play unit and was quite efficient in in that in that job last year. Three, 
um, has proven himself to be a relatively productive penalty killer. And four, quite frankly, at even strength for the amount of minutes that he gets is damn productive. So, okay, well, we don't want, we don't want Jason Spezza coming out of the lineup. Um, could you know, maybe put Adam Brooks in on the wing instead of Michael Amadio? Eh, maybe there's a, a debate there to be had. The management group opted to go in a different direction. That's really the only debate that I think is is worth having. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe they came to the conclusion that they didn't like him on the wing. They wanted him at center, and they liked Amadio on the wing more so than Brooks. But, you know, again, the fortunes of the Maple Leafs will not rest on the shoulders of Adam Brooks, whether or not he was retained or not. It'll rest on the shoulders of Matthews and Marner and Nylander and Tavares and Morgan Riley and Jake Muzzin if Jack Campbell can give them a save and, and that those type of, of guys. Adam Brooks' is depth, he's nice depth, but now you don't have him here, you find somebody else to fill that depth. Yeah, he's going to go score 30 in Montreal now, so yeah. good luck to him. <laughs> it's just the way he's going to score on Wednesday night. <laughs> yeah. I well, ask for you, sure uh, he's going to score on Wednesday night. It has to. <laughs> I want to ask you, uh, we spoke with Terry Koshan towards the end of last season with the exit interviews and stuff like that. Um, you know, he said the, the vibe around the room was different. That loss hit the team differently. Um, now that you're around the squad again and obviously seeing these guys going into this season, what's the vibe like there now with these guys? Is that energy still there where they don't like the taste that was in their mouth and they really are setting out to prove something? And is that energy starting to feed through this team? I will say that there is, to me, a remarkable lack of hangover from last year. And I say that as a positive thing. Um, what I get from, from the group is that, that guys understand what is before them now. And like we talked about earlier in the chat, if they don't find a way to get it done, they, I think there's an understanding that there will be, will be changes. Um, but what I don't see is, you know, sort of a, a moping or a whine, certainly not a whining, but a, um, an over-concentration, um, a paralysis, I think, would be a, a better uh, term to use uh, with what happened last year. And that is a good thing because you don't want to go into to, to this season being paralyzed by what happened last year. And there was a little bit of talk about last year, first two or three days of camp, and then since then – um, one, the, the guys have made it clear, Sheldon Keefe has made it clear that he's really no longer interested in entertaining questions about last year. And it made it even more difficult when the, uh, when the Amazon documentary came out there on October 1st. Um, you know, you know you're going to get asked about that. And he, he answered a few days of questions. And then he was like, look, I, that, that's last year. We're not talking about that anymore. Now we're, we're going to channel ahead to this year. And what I like that what Sheldon Keefe said and I thought this this was really a, a I don't, moving isn't the right word, but a, a profound quote. Um, he, he was asked, "Look, do you?" Because I think we can all agree here: the regular season doesn't matter, right? If they win sixty five games and and then lose in the first round, no one's going to sit back and say, "Oh man, man what a regular season! Sixty five games—that's something." Records set all that. No one's saying that. They lost in the first round. Doesn't matter. But yeah. he was asked, "If you if you could get into a time machine, I bet you'd like to do it." so that you could just get right back to the playoffs and then prove yourself once and for all. And he said, no, even if I had that opportunity, I, I, I wouldn't want to do that because what happens in, in May in the first round of the playoffs will be determined largely on the habits that we set for ourselves throughout the 82-game regular season. And yeah. if we kind of half-ass it and 
um, you know, find a way to back into the playoffs and are not playing particularly good hockey, the first round is probably not going to go that good because you're probably going to end up playing a team like like Tampa Bay or Florida, um, maybe Boston in the first round. It's probably what's going to end up being if they end up making the playoffs. Um, if not them, a, a team in the Metro. And there's there's some legitimate teams in the Metro division through through a wild card matchup. So if you're no good in the regular season, you just find a way to back in. Um, you're not going to have the success that you want. You need to lay good foundation. You need to lay good habits during the regular season. And it starts today, uh, two weeks ago when he said it. But I I get what he was saying. That to me, one, uh, he recognized what happened last season. But now, two, it's how do we correct that? The only way we're going to do that is to start today and build right throughout the regular season to hit the ground running in the playoffs. All right. Well, Dave, we look forward to speaking with you throughout the season, hopefully get you back on for a longer. I want to thank you very much for joining the least preview show for offside tonight. Um, where can people find your work? Where can people find you in case they didn't already know where to find you? Uh, Sunday brunch on uh, NHL network radio, uh, channel 91 on the Sirius uh, XM uh, app, 11 a.m. Eastern on Sunday. And then uh, throughout the, uh, the year on NHL.com uh, covering the Maple Leafs. And I guess Ice Cap as well. If you like post game uh, shows, they're late for me. So it's always good to know someone's listening. Um, <laughs> usually uh, two or three times a week on NHL Network Radio once the, uh, the night's action is done. Well, we'll look forward to it and look forward to having you back on throughout the season to talk about all our hot takes exposed. Awesome. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. All right. Nice have a good night. Brunch All right, so that was Dave McCarthy, obviously, of NHL.com. Next is Terry Koshan, friend of the show, been on many times, covers the Toronto Maple Leafs, and we can ask him the hard-hitting questions. He never gets worried. Let's bring Terry on. Hey, no What's guys. going on, Terry? How are you? Not too bad. Good. So, we're having the least preview show tonight, obviously, getting everybody's opinion on the team, and I want to ask you a few questions uh, right out the gate here about Travis Dermott. Um there's the thing here where Sheldon Keith may be trying to teach uh, Travis Dermott maybe a little, not a lesson, but hold mm-hmm. his feet to the fire by saying, hey, you are the more veteran defenseman. You should have outshone Timothy Lilligren mm-hmm. and Rasmus Sandy, but this training camp you didn't. So by all accounts, it looks like Timothy Lilligren's drawing in with Sandine on opening night. Is that Keith sending a message to Dermott to step his game up? Well, I suppose. He sent one the other night. Listen, anything Keith is saying to us, like he did the other uh, the other day, uh, Saturday. No, sorry, I can't remember if it was after the morning skate or, or uh, the game itself. It might have been after the morning skate. It was just saying exactly that. Um, kind of we keep waiting for him to make that next step. Well, he, he as he said, he talked to uh, Dermot about that. I don't know if it's sending a message more than just this is who the, the six best defensemen have been through camp. And if you're number seven to start, you're number seven to start. Uh, they, they, part of it too is they love what Lilligren has done, right? And yep. they, like, they really like the steps that he's made. So there's there's a couple of things that go into it. But uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, uh, they would have liked to have seen Dermot take another step by now. They haven't seen that, and um, they're not going to wait for him. Not when you have a guy like Lilligren ready to step in, and if he's not playing every night, uh, to certainly take some of those minutes uh, uh, that Dermot other, otherwise might have had. So. I don't know if it's a message, um, but, I, but I think Dermot knows no matter what happens Wednesday, Thursday, um, he's got to be better. Has to be. Am I right to say that Lilligren was, got his, uh, his shine, so to speak, by doing less instead of more? Kind of refining well, he, his game and not making those mistakes that cost him so many times? 
usually the case with defensemen, right? Especially young ones. What do they always say? If we don't notice you, you're doing the right things. Probably, yeah. So, yeah. And I think Lilligren just, you know, and, and he, and you guys remember early in camp, what did he say? This is, I'm going to my fifth year. I've got to make something happen here. Paraphrasing yep. along that. So good for him for uh, backing that up. But he, um, yeah, a simple game. I mean, he's a smart hockey player. The key, of course, of this team is when you have the puck on your stick and your defenseman, you uh, you get rid of it quickly. You make the smart play quickly. It's something Sandine acknowledged earlier that he's still uh, dealing with and, and trying to get better at. But, again, they're young. And, um, yeah, I, w- I would say for sure that that was the case. I mean, Lilligren is not flash and dash. He's not Morgan Riley getting up the ice and getting back like Morgan can. Not that many people are. Um, but he had a good camp by not by not forcing it. And that's yep. what you want when you're on D. To not only not force it, but to recognize that they don't have to force it. I think that's a big key here. And uh, I think Lilligren, for his part, is uh, is um, becoming more aware of that now. And that's why he's in the position he's in now. What was that step they wanted Dermot to take? Because I've been seeing, I've been reading, I've been hearing yeah. that that yeah they, they keep saying, yeah, we wanted Dermot to take that step. But nobody has well, said what that step was. Do we have any well, idea what they needed him to do? Yeah, Keith, Keith did mention it, Josh. The consistency. Be better in all. Okay. Be consistent in all areas. Don't give us something good one game or give us a good look to give us the confidence that maybe you can play in the playoffs for us and then take a step back at some point. Because the the, the everyday defensemen don't really do that. Yeah, you can allow the, the odd mistake and everything because that's going to happen. But uh, they just weren't seeing that enough out of, out of uh, Dermot. And he's at an age now where he really should be. I mean, we all like to say that, that D, for the most part, take longer. I guess not if you're Adam Fox, but uh, most of them do. <laughs> And, uh, you know, uh, it's that consistency factor. And, you know, it's interesting because you'd like to think Dermot would have come along a little bit quicker now in that area because of the people that they do have um, up front. I mean, we know we know the depth and talent of the Leafs forwards. You get the puck on their stick and and uh, a lot can happen that way. But they're just not seeing that out of him. And, uh, you know, I don't know at this point where they go from here. Um, but maybe, as you referred to, Jamie, it'll be a bit of an, um, a wake-up call for him. And we'll see yeah. who, where it goes. But uh, certainly I, I wouldn't over the next 48 hours, um, 72 hours, you know, they're playing in, in Ottawa the next night on, on Thursday. Uh, it can't be an overly comfortable time for Dermot right now. And there should well, be. But again, I'm, I'm wondering if this is a case of internal competition where for the first 10 games we see maybe Lilligren play six, Dermot play four, yeah. and then they make a decision after that. Um, is that something I, I, we could see? Yeah, I, I would think so, Josh. You're not writing anybody off at this point by any stretch yeah. of imagination. And I, and I thought maybe if you talk, we were talking this about a week ago, I would maybe at that point I said, okay, Lilligren's played well enough to now get that opportunity to be the guy coming in and spelling off, going against Ottawa. Then you know, which of those two played the best, and they go back in against um, you know Ottawa Saturday night at home, mm-hmm. and you yeah. go from there to the Rangers right next week on the Monday, and then of course at the end of next week you have another back to back. So. But a week ago, I would have thought that, right? That's that's uh, you know maybe that's the way you go. But um, here we are now, and uh, you know Lilligren has earned this opportunity. And they're and the good thing is not a, they're not there's not a bit of trepidation of putting him in from the coach's side. They're they're fully confident that he can do this for them. Yeah. So I want to ask the question. We just talked to Dave McCarthy about the uh, the Leafs in last season. I remember speaking with you, and you were telling us about how the Leafs had that fire in their belly after losing, and it was a different taste, a different response. Mm-hmm. that they had last season at the end of it. It wasn't, oh, we'll get them next year. It was They were pissed. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's saying there's like a lack of a hangover now, and in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the Amazon doc coming out now and everybody seeing you know the behind-the-scenes thing, yeah. I want to know, 
Does this team feel last season the same way you felt it when it ended? And does the Amazon doc create another distraction around this this squad? Or is it they don't even think about it? It's not even there. No, it's not a distraction because it happened uh, last year. If it was if it was live, quote unquote, or, or a weekly thing, right now, I mean, yeah, but it, I think they've forgotten about it. And to be honest with you guys, the, the timing of it is probably just more of a little bit of a nuisance for them than anything else because we obviously yeah. were asking them about it, and uh, we did do that. And uh, you know, it kind of came and went. Uh, you know, we all in the media we got advanced copies of it a week before. We all watched over that weekend. I think a lot of our questions came on the Monday, then October 1st came four or five days later, the rest of the world saw it, and that was that. Um, but I, I think what happened at the end of it, I think the scene in the dressing room after Game 7 was real. I think that, uh, you know, there was the shot of, of Matthews and Marner sitting at their stalls long after everything was done in, in the equipment. Um, I've been told by several people around the organization that's not the way things have ended in past years. Uh, certainly of that disappointment, and and why would it? Because the expectations within that room were much higher last spring than they had been in a lot of the previous years, no matter what the players say. So I think it lingers in a good way because now, you, you know, one of, the, one of the talking points Dubas likes to have is learning from the past and things that hurt you and getting past those hurdles and all this sort of thing. Well, listen, it's October here. It's early. We're waiting for the first game of the regular season, but I believe this is the first time that they really did carry that pain with them uh, through the summer and uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes going forward. The thing is, I don't know how you, you judge on 82 games. Yeah. You know, 82 yeah. games, I don't know. As I said, the proof will come next, next spring, but I, I think that uh, I think it's legitimate when we hear the talk about them remembering it, but as for the documentary itself, it's done and over with. Did you enjoy the documentary? Uh, yeah, I did. It was fine. It, I would have liked to see more. I know I got left in the cutting yeah. room floor. There was no doubt about that. But um, you know, for me, for me, the some of the the fascinating things are, are even in media. We don't get to see the behind the scenes. The the trade call yeah. with uh, Gene Kekalian and, and, and Dubas, the Felino trade call, I thought was great. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, the whole discussion, a lot. Well, any discussion basically that Dubas and Keith had to me were yeah. quite revealing. And I know you, you know, you see the Jimmy VC thing and. And you realize that those conversations happen all the time or they're close to all the time, but we're not privy to them, right? And yeah. I, I just thought that, 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 that stuff was interesting. And, uh, you know, the whole Freddie situation, you know, the underlying thing to me was, okay, if, if we knew now what we knew then or knew in July, you knew darn well they weren't resigning Freddie Anderson because there was just a little bit of frustration there. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if we necessarily saw it all in, in, the, in the documentary itself, but it was pretty clear that wasn't going to happen. But I, I, I just like the, the peel back and those types of things always leave you wanting more. I understand that. But, you know, and it was supposed to be a longer series too, right? Originally, I think they were going to go eight episodes. But when you lose in the first round of the playoffs unexpectedly, you don't have the material that you would have liked to have had at going eight episodes. But, no, I, I enjoyed it. I, I thought it, I thought it was I thought it was fine. Don't know the Leafs are going to do it again, though. I would be uh, – Well, they said no to a season two. Yeah, they said no. Even though yeah, everybody yeah. thought I'm not sure of the truth on that, to be quite honest. I don't know mm-hmm. if there was an offer coming from the other way for another season or not. That's just what I've been waiting to understand. But we'll have to have uh, we'll have to have Jeff Bezos on and ask him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get Jeff Bezos on, we're doing something right. But I, I want to <laughs> ask you this squad, we go go forward for this season. We, we want to yeah. get hyped up. It's a least preview show. For you, what are you looking forward for this squad? I mean, is it going to be the improvement on the penalty kill, which it looks mm-hmm. like they're going to be able to do being more aggressive? Is yep. it going to be the power play setup that looks actually spectacular 
And, you know, with guys actually having a little bit of buy-in here in the the preseason, I know we won't see uh, Austin Matthews for the first week, but we will see John Tavares there, Nick Ritchie playing in that one spot where uh, Tavares usually would be. But I'm wondering for you, those special teams taking a step and the new players being mixed in, how do you feel about this season? How do you feel about the special teams, which were a crux last year? We were 24th on the penalty kill. The power play, we all know the drought that we went on as a team, and it was, was hard to watch. Do you think they're able to correct those things and propel themselves further up the standings and get better uh, better results? Well, listen, everyone always says the preseason doesn't mean anything. That 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 works only so far. The power I'll just go to the power play for a second. Uh, we we've seen what it's doing. We've seen what Mitch Marner we, we know what Marner's capable. I was one of the smartest yep. players in the game. You give him that role now in the power play where you can freelance a bit and get things going. That like as if I don't think Marner needed any regular season confidence. He's going to get it. Morgan Riley was saying the other day that he expects that sort of thing to bleed into the regular season. Whether you're scoring every time the unit goes out, and we know that you know Matthews is going to be part of it for this first week here. Whether you're scoring or not, you're like you said, James. You're you're you're, you're looking good doing it. There's a lot of fluidity there, and you're getting confidence from that. The PK, the same sort of thing. I mean, Dean Snooth has come in and said, "Okay, we're going to be this much more aggressive," to the point that. Now we have the confidence that a guy like William Nylander, who also is a very smart hockey player, could come in and do a lot of the things that Mitch Marner has done in the power, or sorry, in the PK. Uh, yep. Just using that brain and, and uh, attacking the puck and uh, making good decisions with it. But overall, I mean, there, there are a lot of, I, I, I don't know that Leafs are better at this point. They're certainly a different club. I think when you subtract Zach Hyman, it's the, he was the best forward involved in the comings and goings with the Leafs this year. I think they're going to be better on the blue lines. I think Sandine's ready to take that next step. Um, but I, you know, I'm curious to see how Nick Ritchie handles the increased role. You're going to, you're looking at a guy who's going to play. I think he's played over 15 minutes once in his career in the NHL, like on average over a season. Now he's going to be doing it against harder competition that he hasn't seen on a regular basis, and maybe that ramps up even more when Matthews comes back. So how does he adjust to that? Is Michael Bunting ready for that next step, having only played 26 games in the National Hockey League? I think there's a lot of potential here. Um, you know, obviously the Kov, Kasha, these guys clicked right away. They have the, the background together. So that's good to see. And, uh, you know, I'd argue that a, a fourth line of, uh, you know, um, Spezza, Amadio, and, and Simmons is pretty darn good. Uh, yep. you're, you're not looking at – and a guy like Adam Brooks, I think, would have been good in there too. I think he'd finally earn that this year. And I'm curious to see how he does with the Canadians. But uh, you're not looking at the fourth line saying, okay, where's the experience uh, and this sort of thing. You have three veterans there. Uh, Mario's coming up on 180 games in the NHL. So um, there are a lot of – I think the way Keith put it the other, the other day was there's a lot of pieces that can fall into place here for them. Mm-hmm. Can they survive the, the Matthews injury? I think so. McKay of Hurts, there's no doubt. I mean, it's an awful thing because, you know, Tim was saying this the other night, McKay is really coming out of his shell, you know, that sort of thing, and more of an influence in the room, getting starting conversations. You hope this doesn't set him back a bit. And, um, you know, I guess the only thing I haven't touched on is the goaltender and how this tandem works. But each I was going to ask you, yeah. Well, each guy, you get a back-to-back. It's a great it's, it's a great situation because you're not traveling yeah. far Wednesday night, and each guy gets to show his thing right away, and then you go from there. I think it's a good spot for the Leafs to start for sure. Um, they have Mikheyev out for eight weeks with a broken thumb. Yeah. He must have really broken that thing because I've broken my thumb before and I was good in two weeks. Do you have any insight into how bad that thing's broken? Not Well, you saw the play, right? Yeah. Did you guys see the play? So 
when when you walk, just just the awkwardness that he fell, and it looked like the hand was caught underneath him. I'm doing here, right. but you know what I mean. So I don't know. When you hear eight weeks in surgery and a broken thumb, I'm like you, Josh. I broke my arm in hockey in grade nine. My wrist had a green stick fracture. I think I was back a month later. Yeah. So I know I know it, it's uh, it's different for everybody and all this sort of thing. So there, you know, whether there's uh, other damage involved there, it sounds like there could be. If you're mm-hmm. undergoing surgery and you're on you're on the shelf for two month minimum, but uh, yeah, it, it's a tough one because you know it, it was funny too. Uh, someone had asked Keith that morning about the Ovechkin injury and how you just kind of you know peek between your fingers and hope to get through the preseason not hurt, and the Leafs are looking good until this happens. So, but they're confident in the depth and uh, they do have some good players. Uh, Semyonov got sent down today. I think it's going to be a good option for them if it comes to that. Uh, you know, Brett Cini had a good had a good camp. Joey Anderson, I thought, was fine. Um, Curtis Gabriel is going to be an option for them. So you hope you don't run into too many injuries. But, um, you know, once Tavares gets back with Bunting and Nylander on that, we'll see. We'll see how that goes, right? But, you know, it, it is tough, though. They're going to miss McCabe. I think he's playing with some purpose in camp for sure. Well, I want to ask you this last question before we wrap with you tonight and before Josh gets attacked by something. Yeah, no, Jesus um, this room is falling apart. <laughs> um, I want to know for you, do you see the Leafs taking the uh, the first place here in the Atlantic? I've been asking everybody all night long. I uh, look at Boston, say their goaltending might be a thing where, where it's Allmark and not Rask. I uh, look at Tampa, the Stanley Cup hangover after two years could really be real. Um, yeah. For you, I'm wondering, can the Leafs secure that top spot? Or it's been brought up uh, by Dave that hey maybe Florida takes that step. I I I think it's Tampa Bay's until someone takes it from them, and I don't know if that happens this year. Have they lost players? Yes. Do they have depth? Yes. Do they still have the best goalie in the game? Arguably one of the best defensemen in the game, among the best forwards in the game. They do, and you know what? There might be a bit of a hangover, but. Uh, if they don't win the division, that might not matter once the playoff starts. I expect Tampa to be be there and be loud about it, and and possibly win a third in a row. I don't. I certainly don't think that's out of the question. Um, but the Leafs are in for a challenge, and they sound like they're ready for it. We would ask them about returning to the Atlantic and the competition that's going to bring. You mentioned Florida, Jamie. I know McCarthy had mentioned them too, and uh, they're they're you know they've made a lot of improvements. Um, Boston. Again, you're looking at them going, okay, well, how do they get from point A to point B without a lot of some of these players now? And there's just that veteran core there that they have that I don't think you can count out. Um, are the Ottawa Senators going to be a team that could surprise some people? I don't know that, to be honest. I, I, I Listen, again, we're going back to the preseason, saw them a few times. I wasn't overly impressed with them, and I know that DJ Smith was looking at a few things, different things, but I would have expected more out of them. Uh, but uh, we'll still, and of course, you know, not having Kachuk is a big factor, but uh, – I don't. I don't know if the Leafs have won the division. Are they going to be in the running for it? I think they will. But again, I just. I just like Tampa, and, and um, I don't see them taking a big enough step back that you count them out of that number one spot right now at this point. Well, we're going to look forward to the Maple Leafs kicking things off on Wednesday night. Look forward to your coverage all season long, and of course, getting you back on for some analysis about what's happened with this squad, Terry. I want to thank you for joining the Leafs preview show for Offside, buddy, and. Uh, Best of luck Wednesday night and Tuesday night and every night this season for 82 games. The long slag is back. Yeah, it's great. I'm looking forward to it. Fans are going to be back, and it's uh, it's nice to have some normalcy again. So thanks for having me, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks talk to you soon. Bye.
He mentioned All right, so uh, Terry Koshan. And the next one coming up here, he's already in the waiting room. It's Mr. David Alter, a friend of the show, been on a few times. Let's swing him on. What's going on, David? Yeah, it's really low. I can barely hear you guys, but I'll do my best. I don't know why, but it's it's incredibly low, the volume. So hmm, let's going, see other than I... that, it's going all right. How's it going with you guys? <laughs> We're good. I got Mark. attacked by uh, I got attacked by my bookshelf. So I'm just gonna make sure it's not falling apart. I'll be two seconds. <laughs> yeah, be careful with that. Well, Dave, I always like to have you on. Obviously, the season is about to kick off. A lot of storylines going through Leafs Nation. Uh, see the Detroit Lions hat you got rocking right there. So I'm wondering, are the Toronto Maple Leafs going to come out of the gate better than the Lions have this season, or what do you think is going to happen there? Well, I mean, that's such a like you're you're putting it on a tee. Who who's, who can be worse than zero and five? Like, no one's expecting that. Listen, hey, the Leafs could do it. Not worse than 0-5. They'd probably be the same at, at yep. minimum. Uh, yeah. But no, I mean, in all seriousness, the Leafs should be pretty competitive. There's obviously question marks at wing and uh, maybe some of their depth as well. But, I mean, in terms of uh, in terms of how they'll do, I think they'll, they'll have a pretty decent start. It feels like they're not leaving the North for another week because of the Ottawa and Montreal opponents in the first three yeah. games, anyway. So, like to be honest with you, it's kind of I'm like I'm I'm more excited about Game Four against the Rangers, just because a Matthews might be back by that point, but b more importantly, um, it's just a fresh opponent. I'm just so sick of the Canadian teams right now. Like I, I am. Like I just I want to see what this team measures up to against some of the other opponents across the league. No, definitely. We can't wait to see some other teams as well, see what this team can stack up like against a New York Rangers, who's an up-and-coming squad with Panarin, Lafreniere, you know, names we haven't got to see yet, you know, and get excited about. Um, I want to ask you about that guy you just talked about a moment ago is Austin Matthews with that wrist injury, um, you know, hopefully back for game four. Um, he's saying all the right things, saying it feels good in practice, you know, the mobility's there. He's just not uh, not game ready. And maybe you got to ask him a question or maybe he said something that we didn't get to hear. Um, for him with that wrist, is it just because maybe a little weary on contact or maybe against the board player, things like that, that might be the issue for him where he doesn't want to get those bumps right yet, where he's still working things out? Uh, he mentioned he'd rather it be taken care of now than bleed into the season and have last season repeat itself. So right. that makes us a little worried as well, thinking, is that risk completely clear from what it had, uh, or is he still experiencing some things that set him back in the summer? I think he could play if he was forced into a situation where he had to, but I think he's actually taking uh, the right course of action, which was not pushing things forward. There's obviously some sort of discomfort or feel that he's not feeling pre-injury. And that was the whole point of this procedure, right? It was to make sure that, you know, you nip this in the bud once and for all, and that when the regular season starts, the wrist is no longer an issue. Now, whenever you go into surgery, there's always a chance something can go wrong. Not saying that's what's happened here. It's obviously been more than the six-week timeline than what they planned for, but there's clearly something there, and he, he avoided a lot of specifics where he just said he just quote, didn't feel ready yet. Um, and I think Sheldon kind of hit the nail on the head, which was that, um, you know, this whole the whole point of this was to make sure that the risk was not an issue. So if there is still like a 5% 
discomfort with it. Why push it? Why rush? Uh, there's no real reason to do that aside from personal goals. And uh, I think it's actually a good, good course of action by Matthews to just, you know, put the team first, not think about any sort of personal goals he has and make sure that whatever this risk thing is, is no longer a problem for him when he comes back. Cause the worst that could happen is they have a setback and hopefully for, for his sake and the team's sake, that's not the case. Yeah. Like uh, I was talking to a guy at work today and he said that um, I was telling him, he was, he was saying, why they bring him in? Like he's ready to go. I said, well, he might be ready to go, but he doesn't feel comfortable to play. It's better to lose him for three games at the beginning of the season than 22 in mid March. Right. So you're going to want him to be ready. Who's going to have to step up in his absence, though? Because obviously you're missing a top line player. Who do you see maybe having a breakout performance to start the year? Personally, I think it's going to be William Nylander. Do you have another name in mind that you think will maybe open this season with a bang? Yeah, you know what? I mean, I don't know if it's he's necessarily going to do it, but I think he has to do it. And that's John Tavares. I think Tavares had a bit of a not so great productive regular season last year. Like he did struggle at times to score. I think he knows there's a little bit more pressure on him to make sure that um, he's at least getting to the point where he's living up to an $11 million contract because when you're getting paid that kind of money, you're expected to produce. And so even though he's got all the good leaderships of, of being a captain and all that stuff, and he's moved up to the first line center role before he's, Literally stepping into Matthew's spot, he's the guy who's going to have to help produce for that line uh, to make sure that the team kind of stays on that offensive trajectory. As far as Nylander, well, I mean, look, they played with Kerfoot. I'm, I'm sure that second line's going to get points. There's no doubt in my mind that, that they'll be helpful. Although that second line has gone through a lot of changes after today, so mm -hmm. there's that. But I think you have to go first line. And I think there's pressure on John. You can look, there's there's pressure on Mitch Marner too, but not the same kind of pressure. He's a regular season performer. That's really not the issue there. That's going to be something down the road when it comes to the playoffs. But in this short little while, I think John Tavares, who was working on and addressed the fact that he wasn't living up to where his game was offensively during the regular season, there's no choice. He's got to step up in that spot if the Leafs are going to be a breakout success in the first couple of weeks. Do you think Marner could be affected by the pushback? Well, not pushback, for hate for a lack of better word, um, from the fans at the end of the playoffs last year? Because he, he comes across as a guy to me that feeds off the fans. And he was saying, yeah, I've kind of blocked all that out this year. I didn't really pay attention to any of that. But then let's use the, like those, oh, what do they call it? The family games that started at like two in the afternoon, for example. Those are his best games because the fans are there. It's rocking, it's loud, and he feeds kids. off the fans. It's, it's kids. all kids, right? When, it's, when, it, when, it, when they're doing well, he does well. When everything's positive around him, he does positive things on the ice. But when it's negative, he kind of seems to drop off and let that affect him. The vibe around Mitch Marner at the moment, it's not the best. Can that maybe slow down his start a little bit? Or is there some uh, some weight behind him saying he's blocked it all out? Look, I think I don't think he's going to be affected too much this year. And here's why I think so. Uh, I think he, he admitted already, which I mean, every pro athlete usually does, which is deleted all the social media and just let his agency and teams deal with all that stuff. And when he needs to see something for his team or whatever 
they can do that. So he's not looking at any of those things that might draw negative emotions. Growing up in the city, even when there's been like booze or whatever towards a person, no one actually does that face-to-face in person with someone. If they actually went up and met Mitch Marner, they would be like on their best behavior. That's typically what happens in Toronto. So that's two. And number three, I think the fans are just going to be so happy to be back in the building that they're just not going to be there so happy to be there just to boo Mitch Marner. I don't see that happening off the start. I think it was a weird year. No fans except for 550 healthcare workers at Game 7 got to see a game in person or media or, or staff or whatever. And that the sum of all those things makes me believe that Mitch Marner is not going to feel any of that pressure until later in the season if he's A, not producing – B, the Leafs are not in a playoff spot or still fighting for their spot, and it's not a certainty that they're going to be in the playoffs. Or C, which will be when the regular season starts, if he gets off to any sort of struggle or makes a mistake. Maybe there's some of the Larry Murphy treatment, although I I don't see that. I really don't. I think think coming out of the pandemic – when you go to a game, I think there's a kinder, kinder, gentler audience. I saw the wave all preseason. Like that would never happen. Like, hey, hey, I was just, at that game. That I was, was a part of it. Acceptable was starting <laughs> to happen again. So, like, I just, I don't see it unless it's really bad. Like all, all the, all the boisterous like boo birds. I think it's going to be a little while just because there's so much good to celebrate in the world. Uh, with yeah. the regular season yeah. kind of opening right now, that I think it's going to take some real struggles before we start really seeing the Boo Birds in action. Is that One a, thing uh, I want to ask is, uh, sorry, well, you know, you're talking about uh, Tavares obviously stepping up. I just want to piggyback on that. Uh, Josh jumped in there with the Marner. Um, you know, what if John Tavares comes out these first three games absolutely guns a-blazing and does find that offensive touch with Mitch Marner? You know Sheldon Keith likes chemistry. And maybe a way to work Austin Matthews back into this lineup is to put him on line number two and not have him against the A1 defense. And he has chemistry with Willie Nylander. He has chemistry with other players. Maybe allow him to slide in that second C role to get his reps back, get things going, get things rolling, and then obviously elevate his minutes once everything feels comfortable. But if you got something that's rolling and that is hot, do you want to break that up right away just because it's a de facto thing? It's something that they're going to have to decide at that moment, right? Yeah. Like it's – yeah, they might shuffle up. They may do whatever. But, look, there's no slam dunk that Austin Matthews is back in time for game four of the regular season. It could take a little while. Uh, there could be other injuries that necessitate other people being into those spots. And then maybe there's different chemistry built in with Nylander and that depth winger as opposed to uh, Matthews. Because, let's face it, last year, the Matthews line did not really fluctuate too much. It was all yeah. second through four, right? It was different left wingers being mixed around. Like Mikheyev got a, a turn with Tavares and Nylander. Tavares moved up in the middle when when uh, Matthews was gone. But other than that, they the first line was pretty static last year. Now, in the Mike Babcock era, there is experience of Matthews with Nylander. So they could go to it again. But remember, the whole argument there and what fans were yelling about the whole time Mike Babcock was there was that they wouldn't put Marner and Matthews together. So if you try and do that and you get one game, then you're going to have those same people complaining, why are we going through this? And why are, why is Matthews and Marner not together? So 
I think they're just going to go day to day and figure out the situation. Uh, I do think that Matthews will come back soon rather than later. If there's a hot point streak or something, sure. But let, let's face it, those first and second lines are both two lines. Like, uh, yeah. like they're both yeah. like first line caliber with the type of money they're paying to those players. So I don't necessarily know that putting him on a second line per se eases him in. Um, I think it's just going to all depend on the situation, to be honest with you. Well, you talked about the interchangeable parts, so let's talk about those guys. Richie, Bunting, uh, Camp, Kasha, all these guys coming in to this roster and uh, seemingly going to be sprinkled throughout. Who's the one that catches your eye the most? For me, I don't know why, but I've got an attachment to Andre Kasha and David Camp. I like the two of them a lot. I like what Camp can bring as a no-light, sport of speak. I've said it a couple times tonight. And then I really like what Kasha can bring if he's healthy. He likes to drive the net. He's got that power forward S type of build. Uh, if he stays healthy, maybe he can bring those things out and give that third line what Keith's always wanted, which is a defensively stable kind of line that may be able to pot a few and ball up the other team in their own zone, keeping control of the puck. But for you, what name stands out the most and think may have the most impact for the Toronto Maple Leafs through your eyes? I'm actually not sure. Like, it's look, it's. It, Kampf and Kasha have been the most talked up by the staff yep. and they have looked pretty good, but there's still question marks like Kampf is good, uh, as good as he is. You know, at times he was bouncing around between the fourth and third lines with Chicago last year. I need to see kind of a longer track Same record uh, as far as the offensive upside. I don't know if there is any there. Like, I mean, it, it will be a bit of a challenge in that regard. Kasha does have wheels, and yeah, when he's healthy, he's really good, but again, I don't Help. know. Like, who knows what happens with those? Nick Ritchie is a compelling piece, but I don't know if he's cast properly on that first line, and if it sticks for longer than a long period of time. He's got good hands. He's a big body. Uh, I, I think it's a shame, because I think Ilya Mikheyev was probably the best type of Hyman replacement on the wing when Hyman was gone. And I don't think they, they, they never planned on doing it. Although it looked like he was going to be on the second line, which he got a cup of coffee. Yeah. I think it was like only two or three games max last year where McKev was second line left winger, but I would have liked to see what he would have done on that first line as a guy who, yeah, maybe he kind of struggles to, to bury him sometimes, but he could definitely create and definitely get it to the guys who can score, uh, which is, you know, it's kind of identical to what Hyman was. So it's kind of a shame there because now they're kind of all over the place where like they need a lot of different experiments to work. And their one consistent on the left wing is now kind of gone for two months. So yeah, it, it's tough. Like bunting looks good. He looked good in the earlier part of camp. He wasn't the, the big game breaker. He was before, like later in camp, but there's potential there oh, and offensive upside, but the sample size is small. It's Nick Ritchie is probably the most consistent kind of guy who can kind of be in that spot, but I just think he's miscast on the first line. So I'm not exactly sure what's happening in that regard. What's one thing for you through this training camp that, uh, that you're noticing that no one's talking about? That's something that, hey, this maybe should be talked about more. 
Uh, the goaltending situation. I mean, it's been talked about a lot, but like, I'm, I'm very curious as to what happens there. I mean, I don't think the goaltending is necessarily stronger this year than it was two years ago. If that makes any sense. Last yep, year was a weird year to evaluate because Jack went on this crazy run and I don't know if that's real or not. Like it's, it was crazy. It was cool. It was all that stuff. Um, I like mentally, like we hope he's in a good spot where if he has bad games, it's not going to kind of destroy him in, in terms of thinking about it and then letting it affect his performance going forward. Peter Morazic, again, another guy who had a really good small sample size last year had experience sort of as a one a, uh, before that, but injuries and everything where that's another question mark, but they're paying him quite a bit over those three years where it looks like, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to figure out some sort of possible solution there. And look, there wasn't good enough for Carolina that Carolina went and got Anderson instead. So there's a, like, I think the goaltending as good as it can be, it'll be very streaky. And that's probably not with Freddie apart from this past year, and the bad Octobers he had in regular years, outside of that and a couple of bad goals in the playoffs, he was fairly consistent. Like he didn't move around the net yeah. a lot. He was kind of, he gave the stability where people revered Frederick Anderson until this weird year and, and everything that happened there. So I think the goaltending is gonna be the biggest question mark there. Defense looks kind of the same without the veteran yeah. presence. It's gonna be good to gotta see what Lilligren can kind of do. Um, but other than that, I think, I think goaltending, goaltending is going to be the real sticky, sticky point right now. Are they concerned at all about injuries? Because Campbell was injured for about half of last year. Mrazek only played, I think, 15 games last year. Michael Hutchinson cleared waivers. Do you think we can see Hutch at all in the NHL this season? Sure. I mean, it's definitely possible. They, we saw Hutch last year. We yeah. saw in two years before whatever the season was before he got traded to Colorado, the pandemic makes me forget like shorthand, how long ago it's all was. blurring together. But, but I, I believe that was like, that, that was the year before. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. So they're, they're probably it's, it's look injuries are inevitable. Like they may happen. They hope it doesn't, but it happens. Look what happened to Ilya in a, in a preseason game. Like freak accidents can happen all the time. I just got a, I just saw a tweet from my, my buddy Hart at Puckpedia about the Leafs' current cap situation right now, which is exactly what we thought they were going to do, which is they're over the cap by $1.53 million, so they've put the KF on LTI yeah. and used that exception to, to keep guys like Lilligren and Amadio. And the funny thing about the Amadio situation Sorry, I'm, you're not even asking me this question, but I'm just getting, no, it's good. It's good. I'm just it's getting this news as it happens. Um, so there was a lot of consternation and a lot of people upset that Brooks wasn't retained and Hamadio was put on waivers, right? Like, and, and, and Keith kind of, without even ask, being asked about Brooks specifically, brought up the fact that the decision was kind of out of his hands. And it's actually funny. So I don't know if you guys know and I try to explain this in pieces I have exactly how long-term injury works in terms of how you can exercise it. Yep. You can't just put the guy in LTI and have all the space. You have to actually 
put your roster to the point where you're the closest to to 81.5 as you can before going into LTI, right? And so I think what happened here is with who they had left, because Brooks was on a deal where the cap average was lower because the cap minimum was lower last year, it was $25,000 less of a cap hit than Amadio's. And they needed a higher cap hit to get to 1.645 million or closer to it because right now they're at 1.53 with the Mario there where you take that out, it would have been like 1.505. So it's a $25,000 extra cap pool by keeping the higher cap hit player. So, so he was a cap. So Brooks, he was a cap casually then. Uh, like I think that's what Keith was kind of alluding to that, like, you know, like they liked Brooks, but like this the the decision, like in in what other situation would you hear that the head coach the decisions out of his hands, like if he thinks Brooks should have made the team as opposed to somebody else, right? So so like that's when it comes to those situations, and I saw that I'm like, if there's an injury, it makes sense to keep the higher cap hit guy to get more of the pool. If there isn't an injury, they probably both would have been on waivers anyway because there wouldn't have been space to have them both on the roster now. But now with the LTI, they can have him and they can have uh, Lily run up too, which looks good for his chances to actually get some games in now. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Brings a little bit of background to uh, what's going on there because I thought thought it was a very strange decision, but one that didn't hurt me as much as it did other fans. I was like, oh, that sucks. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh well. well i mean look it's a homegrown guy they drafted him he played really well for them in the fourth line i think one of my observations just from everything i was seeing at camp was uh yeah so uh hang on just one sec i'm getting yelled at here no problem so I just had to move the light away. There we go. Uh, so what were we talking about here? You're talking uh, about Adam, uh, Brooks. Adam Brooks. Right. So Adam Brooks was um, one of those situations where, you know, they they did their best. Like with like he was a fourth line guy. Everything I saw in camp is like, I don't know how he's not your fourth line center starting the mm-hmm. season because he just knows what he is and he performs really well in that spot. And clearly other teams agreed, right? So yeah. no, that was a uh, difference. I, I saw as soon as he was put on waivers, I was like, oh, someone's going to claim him. Someone's going to see oh, the value yeah. in this guy and be, be able to utilize him on their third or fourth line. And in Montreal, he's going to he'll he'll fit in well there. He's going to score the overtime winner against the Leafs on Wednesday. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how he does there but and how the Leafs rebound. But the way I put it was Brooks is a replacement level player that you can probably find a replacement for him on waivers as well. So it wasn't too big of a loss in my eyes, but I know some people see the value in him differently. And that's the beauty of hockey, right? Everybody has a different opinion. Yeah. yeah I, remember, I remember when you were talking to me about the, the Freddie Anderson thing last season about getting that close to the cap and how they had to make different deals to get to that point. And uh, so now, now you see this with Brooks and obviously becomes more of, I guess, a cap casualty trying to get as much as that, maximize the uh, the LTIR pools they can use. Um, for you, what are the players going to be, I guess, exiting this team when Mikheyev comes back? Is it going to be Amadio and Lilligren more than likely? Yeah, well, I mean, it just depends. Like, it's hard to forecast now because two months is a long period of time and they may have to 
you know, get somebody else. Like there could be another injury that deepens that pool and then they don't have to make those moves or they make a trade or they do whatever the case may be. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really tough to say if they overperform, then maybe they put someone else on waivers to keep them because they've been contributing that much. It's really hard to say between now yeah. and then in yeah. terms of what they're going to do in that spot. Uh, another enigma for the Toronto Maple Leafs, you either love him, love him, not hate him, but maybe can sink he's down on the Marlies. Uh, Pierre Ingwell is a guy that uh, depends on what side of Twitter you fall on or social media for that matter. Uh, there's people that love him, people that say, hey, this guy can be replaced by somebody else. What have you seen from Pierre Ingwell during this camp? Uh, he's another guy that we talked about, you know, maybe teaching a lesson to and, and saying, hey, you got to step it up. Um, he's a guy that probably has to step it up to stay in this lineup. What have you seen from Pierre Ingvall through camp and now going into the season? Uh, I mean, just a speedy guy. Like the, the good stuff you saw from Pierre Ingvall in the last couple of years looks like the Pierre Ingvall now. Like that's the, you know, fast, can help on the PK if needed, uh, can join the rush, jump up and down. And, um, you know, he looks ready. He looks really good in that spot. And, you know, they help anytime – Anytime they they give like 1.2 million or something over whatever the cap burial projection is for players that are playing further down your lineup in a cap stricken team like the Leafs are, that means they have a lot of like expectations for you. And like, yep. the same goes for Dermot. Like it doesn't seem like they're super thrilled about Dermot's play so far, and they gave him a huge raise, and uh, and they really want him to take it to the next step. But it looks like Pierre Engvall's kind of answered that bell where he, he's done enough of what uh, Sheldon Keith likes that like they're going to have him in pretty important spot to start the season. And um, I think that's good. Like that's just, just the maturation of a player because it seemed like every opportunity there was when Engvall was being asked about that there was just a lot of negativity coming from it during the, the COVID year, uh, the full COVID year. So um, yeah. So like he's been really good in that respect. And I think that um you know, in that third line role, he's going to have to continue to perform because they really do need him in that spot right now with guys like Ilya gone. Like it's his chance to kind of step up, move up into that role, and show that he's worth the the one point two two five or whatever it is somewhere yeah. near Captain <laughs> yeah. that he's making right now. Interesting. So for this season, you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs, and what is your thought? What can this team become? And what is their biggest hurdle to overcome that to get to that spot? Biggest hurdle right now to kind of get into that spot of being like the best team or like to, to get to the promised land. Is that what we're talking about here? Uh, promise. You know what? The promised land for this squad right now is, is probably the third round. It's the uh, second round. Don't lie. It's the, I would be over the moon with a second round. Burn. You know what? I, I think the second round, round for us would be great. But for management, I think third round or bust is what they want. Interesting. Yeah. Well, okay. Look, I mean, it's, it's their flyers. The guy that the guys that they took chances on the, the left wingers have to overperform and their stars have to be their stars and their goaltending has to prove like a, a competent duo. That's really what it is. The defense, I don't think is going to be much of an issue this year because the defense played pretty well last year and it's for better Without Zach Bogosian, it's more or less the same. So mm-hmm. they've got that going for them. And they got to stay healthy. 
and they've got to figure out what they can do in terms of ads and stuff and then that's where they'll they'll kind of be in that regard so um yeah it's uh it's a lot to kind of process and think about because it's so early in the year and like i don't like to prognosticate because there's just it, there's nothing to go by last year didn't feel real like they only played six opponents yeah. It was really easy to work on your mistakes in the regular season, but maybe that's what they needed to actually be a better overall team for this upcoming year. So there might not be a lot of tweaks that they need to make. I heard you with uh, on with Terry before I was waiting, where like Boston looks a little bit, you know, questionable in their goaltending spot. Maybe there's a drip, a drop there. But apart from that, that division is going to be very tough. It's mm-hmm. going to be, you know, I think it'll be a playoff team, but it's. I don't think they're going to be a a slam dunk to be in the top two in the division. I think they're really going to have to work at it and show what they did last year was in the regular season. Anyway, was real. Yeah. Yeah. Is that a, uh, is that a Detroit lions hat? Yes, it is. Uh, did you see the news break while we were uh, recording? No, well, it has nothing to do with the lions, but uh, Gruden was let go from the Raiders. Oh yeah. Okay. I, I, I heard about the emails nah, and that they were waiting for the investigation or they were they sent it to the Raiders to see what yeah. they were going to do about it, and so yeah, a I mean, couple of a couple of the emails came out on Twitter, and they do not make them look good. Yeah, I I, I haven't read them. I just heard what was in them, and yeah, you can't yeah, but, you can't be that way or say that kind of stuff. So, all right. Uh, yeah. All right. Well. Dave, I want to thank you very much for swinging by with us here and talking about the Leafs on the Offside Leafs preview show. Uh, looking forward to Wednesday to kick off. Looking forward to the season to get rolling and having you on once the season's going. Um, anything you want to leave us with before you go about the Leafs or about anything going on? Or just, just ready just to finally enjoy. rock and roll? Like I've got something coming out um, in the next week that's going to get people a little bit more involved in, in uh, the coverage that I do for the hockey news. It's going to be like where you can actually join me on the road. Oh, it's going to be a very interesting thing. So that's coming this week. So keep your eyes peeled out on my Twitter account for that. When you go to Vegas, can I actually join you on the road? (laughs) No, no. I just mean like, (laughs) I know, know, I know. It's going to be kind of like a live chat while things are going on kind of service. All right. And ask me anything kind of thing live. No, but like while leaf stuff is going on actively. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to the season kicking off. And uh, we'll be sure to big that up once it comes out and probably be a part of it because we'll be right there with you. Yeah, yo, a, I, I look forward to it. I appreciate you guys having me on as per usual. Yeah, appreciate you <laughs> well, I look forward on, to having you back on again throughout the season, buddy. Take her easy. All right. Take it easy, guys. Thank you. Cheers. All right. So there you have it. That was David Alter of the Hockey News. Next up. Big Adam Brooks fan. I know, Josh, you got to go cool off. The room is hot. We've been at this all night long. I'll be like Um, two minutes. You know, he's going to take two minutes. Uh, We'll take two minutes to grill the next guest. It is producer Clark from the squad cast. Obviously, the uh, producer for the Rod Peterson show. The man himself, TikTok legend Clark Monroe. All right. I brought my jersey in here for you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Josh is going to go cool off. He's absolutely cooking. But we're going to keep rolling. Walk us through today, obviously a day of Thanksgiving, having good food, good friends, good family, and then the player that you purchased a jersey for gets claimed on the waivers by our arch rival, the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, no, we're not grinding Canadiens fans, but Brooksy is gone. Me and you have been actually very excited about his progression. 
you know, making videos about the give a crap meter with Brooksy in it. And then he's gone. He's gone. He's yeah. like, it's all that content is gone. What do you say, yeah. Clark? Well, it was so funny how this day kind of worked out because obviously yesterday was when he got placed on waivers and I, you know, everyone started sending me messages like, oh no, like, you know, but I was in the back of my head, I was still trying to stay calm about it because he cleared waivers last year. And when you look at what actually happened, he was the 29th claim, like the Canadians had 29th rank in the, in the waiver pick and they were able to claim him. So uh, there was 28 or whatever it is, other teams that passed on Adam, and the Canadians just had to. They just had to pluck him. Uh, and it just kind of felt right away, my, my first thought was that it was just a spiteful move by the Canadians. They're just doing this because we're playing them on, on Wednesday for the home opener. And it was, you know, this thing where it was like they're doing this just because it's the Leafs and uh, it's just because it's this guy that they've been grooming for five years. And I still kind of feel like that's the case. Um, but... Uh, Overall, I look at it, the fit in Montreal, and I, this is part of the, the why I think it's mostly spiteful. Uh, it's just because I feel like he doesn't really make sense there. I mean, yeah, they lost some centers and stuff, but they have a bunch of guys who can play center in Montreal. And I don't know if, if Brooksy is all necessarily all that much better than a whole lot of guys that they have. I look at Jake Evans as a guy who I think that they really like. They just gave him a three-year extension in the offseason. Uh, they just brought in Cedric Paquette, who's – you know, I think he was, was he on that first Tampa Bay Lightning Stanley Cup team? I think he was. Um, if not, he was right around that team for a lot of those years. Yeah. Uh, they brought in Matthew Perot. They brought in all these guys. They have Ryan Paling, who is supposed to be, you know, one of the guys that they had a lot of hope for. Uh, and then they just go out and pluck Adam Brooks uh, right before we happened to play them in the first game. So uh, I got a ton of messages. It was a, It was a funny day in a way, too, because I got a ton of messages. Obviously... My branding strategy worked as uh, making myself the Adam Brooks guy on TikTok because I got tons of people saying like, yeah, you know, I came directly to your channel as soon as I saw the news. And um, <laughs> so there was there's a bit of, you know, kind of sadness throughout the day. But overall, um, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if he's back on waivers in a few weeks uh, and maybe Toronto plucks him right back and puts him back in the depth chart. Uh, he's that kind of player. I think Toronto likes him and they gave him a lot of opportunity uh, and yep. it was just kind of a numbers game at the end of the day. I know you've probably talked to a few people today uh, about this whole situation and, and what they're doing with Ilya Mikheyev and LTIR and all that fun, fun topic of conversation. Oh yeah. Well, it was we, we got the gist of it. We got the, the fact that Brooksy basically was just a cap casualty is what it was yeah, because yeah. Uh, Amadio makes more money and it's better for the cap pool and the LTIR pool. So, Exactly. And that uh, Sheldon Keefe said it in his press conference, I think it was yesterday or two days ago after the Senators game, I feel like it was where he basically said, you know, we're gonna have to make some moves we don't love, but it's just financial stuff right now. And uh, we kind of are just crossing our fingers and hoping for the best. So again, I think they really like Brooksy. I don't think they they did this and wanted to lose them or, or thought they wouldn't and then did. I think this was just straight up a numbers move. And it sucks for me, uh, but overall, I mean, it is at the end of the day when you're looking at what this actually is. It's the 15th forward getting claimed by another team, and I'm trying to look at it that way more than anything right now. Well, I know you're invested. I know Josh has been uh, waiting for this one all night, so let him take the floor here for just a moment. <laughs> well, I mean, Adam, nice to finally meet you, Clark, actually, to be honest. I, I know I missed a couple shows with you, so uh, 
it's nice to find yeah. out. Yeah, thanks for doing this. But for sure. I mean, just to drive the knife into your heart, I mean, Adam Brooks, at the end of the day, is a replacement level player that you can replace with somebody else on waivers. So I'm sure he's a nice guy and every leaf we love and die for. But at the end of the day, when you see the overreactions on Twitter and you take a uh, oh. You, you take a step back and you're just like, well, this guy wasn't going to win them the cup barring some fantastic playoff performance that was Kucherov levels. Then you know, <laughs> I don't think they're missing too much here. But it was sad to see him go because we were kind of invested in this guy. Uh, yeah. like, you were, like you were saying earlier with him being homegrown, they drafted him. We saw him come up through the ranks and he, he did perform well last year. So it, it, it is a shame that he left. And I think it's more of a... Uh, Leafs fans having that personal connection to a player, but I'm sure the next Adam Brooks will come through soon and you'll just be emotionally attached to him as you were as the original Adam Brooks. What a well, great problem sure. to have, though, guys, is to oh, be yeah. Yeah, over that's right. a yeah. replacement-level player, not someone up in your roster, but a replacement-level guy, that on the day that Austin Matthews been deemed out for the first week, Adam Brooks has been more of a, a topic of conversation than Austin Matthews. And Talking to Alter and Koshan about uh, Matthews, they didn't give me, Josh, I don't know if you got the same vibe, but uh, Clark, they didn't give me a lot of hope that he'd even be back for the Rangers game, which is game four. Uh, okay, I know me, so, me and Clark, he made that trade for, for Matthews. I don't know if you're going to see uh, him. Yeah, hang guess. on. That trade was a bunch of BS because now Clark's <laughs> got Matthews and McDavid, so I'm not quite sure what's going on there. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this right here right now. The reason why that happened is because I was a pro, bonehead pro last year. GM move. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, thought, I, I thought last year that I was going to go on a run in the league, and I traded two draft picks. And I know how crucial it is to have multiple draft picks in the first few rounds. I was down a couple draft picks. So I got those players back, and look who I took with them. I got Adam yeah. Fox, the Norris Trophy winner, and Kirill Kaprizov. I'm not exactly no, slouching. It was, uh, it was Braden Point. You got Braden Point now. Oh, Braden Fox. Point. Yeah, even – so I'm not exactly that, like, heartbroken wow. over it. That's okay. You got Matthews, but, they, like I said, Koshan and Alter were saying – you know, maybe it takes longer for him to get back. So now I'm like, all right, roll my sleeves up here. I just pulled a quick one on old Clarky. Matthews is out for the season. Breaking news, boys. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, if that's the case, then I'm calling void on that trade and we're swapping back. But, no, no, it, it is a weird kind of time. And uh, the one thing that I've tried to look at this Matthew situation is, uh, we've dealt with a lot of things in the last couple of years with the Leafs. And I mean, how many times, James, have we talked about Freddie Anderson the last two years? Yeah. Uh, Josh, I think we were on a show together at one point in this history where I think we had this big conversation about Freddie maybe going into a playoff scenario. Yeah. Uh, and it was a Saturday night that, after one of the games. Yeah. Yeah. When we look at that, I mean, the amount of times I've wanted guys to take time off to get healthy rather than try to push through things. I'm trying to look at it in that regard. And if we can get Austin Matthews back with two full wrists, uh, even if it's for 75 games, just imagine, even if it's for 70 games, just imagine how good he'll be for those 70 games and yeah. then into a playoff stretch. So that's the way I'm looking at it. I, I want this guy to be as healthy as he possibly can be because he is so dangerous. Uh, we've seen it time and time again, even with a wrist, one of them, uh, he was still yeah. scoring at a 55 or 60 goal pace yeah, last no. year. So. It's I, nuts. Uh, uh, so I, I, I want to see him back in the lineup, but I want to see him healthy at the same time. I think this guy's coming back for that New York game. Like, that's in the garden, right? They're not at home for that. They're in New York. Yeah, they're in New York, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Matthew's returning in the garden. That That's, yeah. He, he's Mr. Showstopper. <laughs> he's coming back there. And 
our fantasy league is already pretty much over. Like I've, I've dummied everybody in that league and somehow I'm going to pull off the win against Clark's team. So listen, <laughs> here's the other part of the whole thing for you guys. So we're talking about awesome Matthews being out, me making that trade with Clark. Guess who I took. Who's now the de facto number one with Mitch Marner. I do have John Tavares, ladies and gentlemen. So, right. Right. <laughs> yeah, I'm reaping the rewards across the board here. No, I, I was going to say guys, um, there was a lot of, Throughout the preseason, there was a lot of Nylander practicing with Kerfoot, and I kept seeing that over and over. And I'm like, man, they're they're either prepping for Matthews to be out, which I, yeah. I kind of now putting it together in my head that that's probably what was going on. But I'm like, I was still thinking in the back of my head, okay, so Matthews is going to be with Marner, uh, and Nylander's not with Tavares. So are they trying to prep for some super third line here that maybe we'll see kind of like the HBK line with the Pittsburgh Penguins back in the day with Hagelin and Benino and Kessel. And that was the third line that nobody could play against. And uh, yep. that in my brain at the time was Mikheyev with Kerfoot and Nylander because you got the well, speed Well, not you too with this. That's where you got that idea from. No, 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 no. Uh, hey, I put the tweet out. I put the tweet out first. Yeah, and then I, I tagged him that great minds think alike because yeah, I said it's I the exact same. I said the same James, thing. James might have subconsciously put this in my brain, but oh, no. um, it was, I, I've just, I, it came to me the other day and I was thinking about it, just seeing them practice Nylander and Griffith together. I started thinking, are they trying to move him maybe off of Tavares's line? And I don't know if McKay would be there or not, but now he's hurt. So it doesn't matter. Uh, but it, it's going to be interesting to see. I, I'm kind of, I'm glad in a sense that they're trying Tavares out on that first line. Cause we mm-hmm. saw the magic that Tavares and Marner had that one year. Um, but at the same time, I kind of wanted to see them keep Tavares with uh, with Nylander and maybe just see who else could fill that spot for the time being. We saw David Kampf kind of fill in for a game or two. In pre- well, I guess it was just one in preseason. Um, but other guys, too, like, could maybe fill in until Matthews is back. But I, I, I kind of want to see Tavares back with Marner now. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, let's see it for a few games and see that if they, maybe to Johnny can get off to a real hot start. And that's only going to help him the rest of the season. No, definitely. Well, you look at this squad, and it's going to be great. I, I've been we've been talking all night long about the guys coming into this lineup. For you, Clark, you look at the the preseason, and it's not an end all be all by any stretch of the means. But Richie's look good. Bunting's look good. Mm. Camp has done what he's advertised to do. Um, me and you and Josh, we've talked at lengths about the power play and the penalty kill needing to one the power play be consistent and be what it was to start the season last year, but then they get out of twenty fourth in the penalty kill. Because special teams in the playoffs are absolutely key. We've seen it. We lived it. We felt it. So for you, these new additions, are they going to make the difference that we want them to make? Especially like a David Camp, especially a Nick Ritchie and that front presence. What we want Simmons to be but with Simmons' age and everything else they're going to expect of him physically. Maybe Ritchie gets to play that on the second power play unit. And then the greasy little rat that is Michael Bunting, maybe getting in there and mixing it up and doing different things. But do we take those necessary steps? Because those things need to happen. It's great to first finish in the Canadian division, but we're now back in the Atlantic. Let's not joke around here. Tampa will be Tampa. I think Chris Johnson's right on his show talking about Tampa going to be having a hangover. It's been two seasons of long runs. You lose your entire third line. Yes, you have Vasilevsky. Yes, you have Stamkos and Cooch and all those great players. But Stanley Cup hangovers are real. We've seen teams go through it. The Boston Bruins, they're another year older. This may be Patrice Bergeron's swan song. By the way, guys, 37 years old, end of his contract could be it. Then you look at Linus Allmark going into the net for the Boston Bruins. New system, new goalie, new whole show. No no, uh, Tuka Rask. 
So those two teams, and then everybody's talking and no about no David Krejci too. And just to cut no you Krejci. off, James, I feel like Krejci is going to be the one that they miss the most. Uh, yep. He was such a good player for them for so long, and he was so underappreciated. I feel like there. I know a few Bruins fans who just love to jump on certain guys, and I always heard his name for some reason, even though anytime I watched him, I'm like, this guy's a stud. Why are you guys mad at this guy for any reason whatsoever? Anyways, continue. <laughs> no, and the other team I was going to mention is the Florida Panthers, and I brought up the defense earlier. Um, you know, everybody seems to be, you know, if enthralled with this team. You know, well, Spencer Knight can catch your lightning in a bottle, and Sergei Borowski could have one of his on years, and the offense is there. Well, the defense doesn't really scare me outside of the top pair. And I brought it up, and I'll just go through them here right quick again. Give me one second there, ladies and gentlemen. Back, back, podcasting. But <laughs> So you got Uyghur and Ekblad. That's the one that, that okay, good, yeah. fine. You're good with that. Forsling Gudis. Gudis was on waivers and things last year. Wasn't exactly a mainstay on teams. And then Nudavar and Montour. I mean, not exactly quaking in my boots for that bottom four on their D. And we all know... With a bad D, you overwork your goaltender. You overwork a young goaltender. Hi, Carter Hart. Last year didn't have a great year because he was overworked. So Spencer Knight enters the conversation. Could be overworked. Could be that goaltender that has the Carter Hart-esque year. And then Florida realizes we need to revamp our D. So for me, I look at it. Toronto may have a chance here to be number one in the Atlantic if they can fix the power play and penalty kill issues. You look at all those other teams I just listed. There's no one below them like Ottawa, Buffalo, or anything that I'm worried about, not even Montreal. And that's not a shot at them. It's just the fact you're out Weber, you're out Edmondson, you're out Byron, you're out Price. There's a lot of different things going around that organization. I would rather see them all get healthy and get back to playing than, you know, I don't know, go crazy and then the expectations be so high. Those guys come back and it all comes crashing down. I wouldn't want to see that. But I'm just saying, for me, the least. Well, they added like Adam Brooks, too. They added Listen, Brooks you just, you just alluded to the fact that Brooks, you'll probably be back on waivers. But you might have to wait till Byron gets back in December. Well, and Hoffman, too. Hoffman's coming back in, I think, five or six weeks or seven or something like that. So when he comes back, that's another roster spot. Uh, yes. So, like I said, I, and I think they, I, I think they sent Ryan Paling down, if I'm not mistaken. So they could just bring him up at any time, and then they got to clear a spot. So, anyways, I feel like I feel like Montreal again. I'll just finish my thoughts on Brooksy with, I feel like he's not there for very long. So there's a good chance he could come back at some point if if the Leafs wanted him. Uh, but if, like going back to your um, your first point there, the preseason talks with the guys we brought in and. Uh, I had a great show with with my buddy Max Ritz over on the Squadcast the other day. I guess, I guess it's not showing up in my screen, but that's fine. Um, we might talking show up in about how I can I can pull over the little whiteboard here if you want. You know, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, subscribe to our new YouTube channel. <laughs> Make sure you check out the Squadcast. No jokes. Good guys <laughs> over there, always supporting us. Subtle, support them. Subtle too. plug. Yeah, subtle plug. Um, but. We, Max was even saying, I'll give Max credit. He doesn't like saying too many nice things about the Leafs, and he said this, uh, and I'll, I'll give him the credit here. Um, the, the guys that they brought in, and this is what we were talking about, so the, the Richie, Kasha, Kampf, Bunting, um, Gabriel, you know, those names, they all have roles. And I feel like the last couple of years, um, the Leafs were just kind of trying to fill spots. You look at guys like Jimmy VC, Travis Boyd, um, those types of guys, they were just giving, they're just getting bodies to kind of fill those last few spots. And I feel like they were really, really targeted this off season with who they were able to bring in and who they wanted to bring in. Uh, so that's where Nick Ritchie, he just seems like he's kind of a nice little perfect fit on that top line right now. And again, it's, it's real early. So let's not jump too far ahead of ourselves because 
again, I do know some Bruins fans, and they had nothing but bad things to say about Nick Ritchie. So we don't uh, we don't listen to Bruins fans. But do do fan That's bases true. ever say favorable things about a player that leaves them? They always point out I'll the flaws, never the good. Adam Brooks until it's day. true. Like Adam Brooks was terrible. <laughs> he was never going to crack the lineup. Oh, he's <laughs> yeah, absolute trash. Tire fire, boys. Yeah, yeah, tire yeah. fire. Um, and then you know Michael Bunting again, another targeted guy. They went out and see. They seem to really want him specifically, and he he's coming in and he's going to kind of be that Zach Hyman replacement from what everything that we I, I've seen. I'm sure you guys have seen it as well throughout the preseason. David Kampf is like he's like the answer to my prayers. I think. I've told you guys in the past that they needed a defensive center to take some pressure off of the top two guys. They needed him to come in and play defensive zone spots and penalty kill time and and take a little pressure off Mitch Marner on the penalty kill because he led the team in penalty kill minutes last year, which to me shouldn't happen. Uh, And again, they were 24th. So how good was he? I don't know. Um, But I think, and then Andre Kasha, I, I, really liked if he can stay healthy i've really liked the look of him this uh, this preseason i keep wanting to say uh he's got some great sense Uh, i feel like his hockey sense is right there so if he can just stay healthy and keep that brain uh operational we're good to go um but uh the the preseason uh the power play uh, i'm telling you the two new coaches that have come in uh spencer carberry and dean chanel um it's clear that there's changes being made and last year it seemed like even though they were just sputtering and stuck and stale. No, no changes were made. Uh, and I've already seen multiple changes throughout just the preseason alone in their power play. Uh, so that's encouraging. Uh, their penalty kill looks aggressive. And I think that's it's been preached by all of the coaches, all the players, that it's going to be an aggressive penalty kill this year. They're going to be on pucks. We've seen William Nylander getting penalty kill time, which intrigues the heck out of me because I've seen a lot of improvement over him the last couple of years in his neutral zone play and his defensive puck retrieval. Uh, so I like that. There's a couple of buzzwords for you guys. Um, and uh, <laughs> uh, But I, I kind of like that. Again, I just, I'd just i like to see some pressure taken off of Mitch Marner on the penalty kill. I'm fine if he stays on the penalty kill. Let's see him reduce time. I don't want to see him leading the team in penalty kill minutes again, um, personally. Yeah, I agree with that. And, yeah, I, I like to see, you know, we saw against Ottawa, they, they really controlled that entire game. We saw it against a couple of the other games. That even though they were only at half squads, they seem to control the game and control the pace. And I know it's preseason. It's hard to really judge, but it's a good sign. Um, and I, I've liked a lot of the individual performances so far. So that's kind of where I'm at had, heading into game one, uh, even without Matthews. I kind of like where they're sitting right now, and I want to see some of these new guys maybe take over early on without the big boy Austin Matthews there. What, what can these new guys bring to the table right away and kind of cement their legacy early on maybe even? Uh, so let's. I want to see that right away. I personally think the guy to step up that's going to be William Nylander. He finished the last uh, yeah. last season, obviously in the playoffs. He was the Leafs' by far clear cut best player in that seven game series that ended in yeah. nothing. But um, yeah, like he's gonna. I think he's gonna open this season. He's probably gonna open the season with. I hate making predictions like this, but I'll go with seven goals in ten games. Add a couple assists in there. He's gonna come out guns blazing. Show his critics. Show his fans that he's ready to go. He's taking the season seriously, and he is worth his contract, which I have long said. I said the moment that he signed that, he's worth it. He's gonna be worth it. He'll be forever worth it. Yeah. William Nylander to me is your Adam Brooks. So. I'm all in on this guy. I hope he can oh, do man. it. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I think Nylander is going to be the guy to carry this team through this 
hopefully only three game stint without uh, Austin Matthews. Remember one thing too, Willie Nylander uh, aside, Mitch Marner wants to shoot more this year too. And we've already said, seen uh, that. Through he the said preseason. that last year. He said that last yeah, year. Yeah, but this preseason he's already stepped it up and been taking more shots than usual from different angles and places he doesn't usually do where he looks to dish. So if he can keep that going and, throughout and the one season and not fall back. Yeah, I agree with you on the Marner shooting deal. He needs to do that. And he needs to be a guy who can maybe pot 30 goals this year. That'd be lovely. Uh, but one other guy that needs to shoot more, and we've I've seen it, he scored a goal the other night, is Morgan Riley. And that's a power play mm-hmm. thing. But, man, Josh, I think we, we talked about this in the past maybe, but it seemed like last year Morgan Riley just didn't – he just decided not to shoot. And what that did for the power play, especially with Marner in the one-trigger side, uh, everyone just flooded towards Matthew's trigger side. And it knew they knew it was coming. You knew it was coming every time. They didn't use Tavares in the bumper spot almost at all. Uh, and the, the net front was a constant carousel of guys. They never had any consistency in front of the net. Uh, so now that they have Nylander in that other trigger slot and Marner in the bumper and Tavares net front, it seemed like there was a ton of more puck movement on the power play. And we saw it, I think it was in the Senators game, where they just went like a W, just dun, 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 dun. it was like a pinball machine over there. Mm-hmm. And they were just going all around the ice, just quick passes, back and forth, different angles. The goalie had no chance. He, it, they didn't score on the place that I'm speaking of specifically. But, man, it looked real good. And I even texted a couple of buddies. I'm like, where was this? Like, this yeah. this is, this was non-existent last year. It was Marner to Riley to Matthews to Riley to Marner to Riley to Matthews to Riley to Matthews shot. That was the power play last year. Yeah, I could t- almost every time. Uh, so, anyways, I I like what Spencer Carberry has shown early on. Uh, yeah. I'm intrigued to see if we haven't even seen the full set yet. I'm hoping there's I a few plays in have. the playbook. Yeah, I'm hoping there's a few plays in the playbook this year, and they mix it up a little bit because last year there was one play, and if it didn't work, they tried it again. <laughs> that whole Morgan Riley not shooting, especially on the power play thing, I. I, I'm not gonna say I went through something similar, but when I played uh, when I played rep hockey in Oakville, my I was on the power play, and my main job was to get the puck to the trigger guy. And if the yeah. trigger guy wasn't open, I would just cycle it back to the third the third guy, and then he would try and get it back to me and do that. And halfway through the season, my coach was like, "Why aren't you shooting that?" Yeah, I go, "Well, my my job's to get it over to uh, to our trigger guy over there." He goes, "Yeah, but if he's not open, you shoot. You have a shot as well. Use it." I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't know you wanted me to do that. And it's just, it's, it's in your head. It's like, <laughs> right. Austin Matthews is over there. I should get the puck to him. I don't have as good a shot as him. It's like, no, you're in the NHL. You have a shot. Get the puck on the net and see what happens. Well, so especially, hopefully especially he Morgan takes that. Riley. Yeah. Especially Morgan Riley, Josh, who scored 20 goals not three years ago or whatever exactly. it was. The- so yeah, 20 that's goals, 22 points. What I, would, yeah. what I would like him to see, especially if he has – even if it's Tavares on that first power play unit, if he walks it in, Tavares drops back, Riley can drop down for 20 seconds. Riley can walk it in. He's got the skill to do it. Even if he walks it in along the side, he doesn't always have to shoot or look for the pass. Walk it in, create a new angles, create a new look, create a new, throw the defense off a little bit. I mean, don't do it every power play because then they're going to expect you to do it. That's easy to cut off, to cut off that open ice. But if you don't see a pass, you don't see a shot, walk it down to the corner, walk it down the middle, see what happens, get some new angles out there. Somebody will drop back and cover you. Yeah, and he's dynamic enough to do that. So the fact that he wasn't last year, it just seemed like, and I don't want to like slander Manny Malhotra here, but it just seemed like Manny Malhotra wasn't right for the power play coaching job because there just was no, there was no adaptability going on. Hey, the first 10 games of the season, guys, he was the best guy in the world. Because teams didn't have, teams didn't have time to adapt to it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then they right. did. So, <laughs> and then they well, did. playing the same team 10 yeah. times will definitely give you a read on somebody. Totally. That's part of it, too. That's part of it, too. Um, but, you know, just again, just to kind of reiterate the fact that um, they are loading up the power play one this year, which is fine by me. Uh, I want to see it because I, you see every other team doing it where, you know, Ovechkin and Carlson and Backstrom and Kuznetsov and, and all those guys, they're on Washington's. They don't give a crap who's on power play unit, too. They're loading up one, and they want those guys to be the ones scoring goals. So uh, I'm curious to see again. I want to see who steps up in Matthew's absence in game one, two, three, and however, hopefully it's not too long. But uh, let's see some of those new guys step in and make some big uh, impacts right away. So for you, I've asked this question a couple times tonight. What is one story coming out of camp that no one's talking about that you've picked up on and that you're paying attention to, put Brooks aside, um, that you're looking at right now? Mitch Marner's hair. How can I put Brooks aside, James? <laughs> I know you got to flip that jersey around for one. Uh, yeah. Ah! Well, no, you know what? I'm, I'm proud of this jersey. I'm going to keep this one. Uh, if, if, you, if somebody doesn't know the story, I worked for the Regina Pats when Adam Brooks was having his massive monster years, and I have a connection to him in that regard. So I'm not just picking a random minor leaguer and, and uh, supporting him. There's a, there's deeper reasoning behind it. So, But outside connection. of that um, – yeah, exactly. Outside of that, I want to see this goalie tandem. And I, I haven't heard a whole lot of talk about it because I think uh, there's a, a majority of Leafs fans that are just, you know, ready for Jack Campbell to take that role and kind of do what he did last year. Um, but I think Petter Morazic, Peter Morazic, Petter, what are we saying? I don't know. Um, Petter. Either way. Petter? I say Peter. Okay, I'll go with that until <laughs> somebody says otherwise. Uh, Morazic, uh, I, I think he's going to play a, a big role. And I think James... We've talked about this in, in various messages, but um, just the fact that I think this is the better one of the better goalie tandems that this team has had in a long time. The team hasn't been allowed to have a tandem uh, in the last five years because Freddie Anderson just simply wouldn't give up the crease, which in fairness, he did pretty damn good for a few years. Uh, and yeah. I was the biggest Freddie supporter, um, one of the biggest uh, Freddie supporters out there. Because, you know, he did earn all of my respect in those first three years with this team. But then he just refused. He was very stubborn. And he refused to give up the crease, uh, even when he was definitely not healthy enough to be in it. So I, I think this is going to be one of the best in terms of pushing each other, uh, internal competition, but also being ready to step up if one guy isn't on the best or, you know, on his game one night or uh, they're able to switch back and forth on back-to-backs, which, again, that's a that's been an issue that we have had for a while. Even if we did switch off on a back-to-back, it was Michael Hutchinson or it was um, Garrett Sparks or it was whoever. Uh, so the fact that we have these two um, compatible and also uh, reliable goalies now, and we go in for our first two games, our back-to-back, yep. we got Montreal and Ottawa. So we're going to see both goalies in the first couple of games. And uh, I think that could be, outside of David Kampf being the answer to all my prayers, uh, I think that could be probably the biggest move of the offseason um, with those two goalies. And I think that'll be a big change from what Leafs fans are used to seeing for the last several years. For sure. Well, we're going to wrap with you here in just a moment. Uh, but I will agree with you. Having two goaltenders that know how to play off each other, that know the expectation of being a 1A and 1B, and not having to worry about, hey, this guy's going to steal my job, knowing the task at hand. I right. think the only problem this season between the goaltenders may be Jack Campbell going into the season without a contract extension. Um, that may be something that bothers him. We know he's a highly emotional guy. So having right. something like that that could play into his emotions, not putting it out there, 
in the juju sphere, but I'm just saying that is something that could affect him. We all know how he runs very high on the emotion level. So either doing well or doing bad, that could hamper him either which way, you know, with the emotions. But Clark, I want to thank you very much for jumping on the Leafs offside season preview show. Obviously you're doing the family Thanksgiving right now. Uh, so you spared us some time. I am so full. Like it was (laughs) one of those years where uh, the switch didn't turn off until a little too late and I'm a little uncomfortable. What's your your go-to? Like, what do you grab first? Oh, okay. So so my wife, um, her family has a kind of a Ukrainian background. So we got the pierogies, we got the the meat stuffing, not the bread stuffing. We got the meat stuffing. Uh, So those two things, uh, as delicious as they are, they sit pretty heavy, if you know what I'm saying. So uh, I I let those go. I get those first and we got the turkey. We got everything else uh, that goes along with it. But uh, the the pierogies and the meat stuff and man, uh, it's a different experience and it's fantastic. So those yeah. are my two go tos now. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have to do a huge blended Thanksgiving sometime. Find a way to make it happen. Maybe before a Toronto game or something. Just do it. Ooh. Have a good time. That'd yes. be a great little spot. But Clark, shout out all the shows. Obviously, it's the Rod Peterson Show. Check out the Squadcast. Make sure you look at them up on YouTube. They're doing the drive to 100 subscribers. Make sure you get on yes. there and subscribe. Check out all Clark's TikTok videos. He is TikTok famous. Make sure you watch all of them. Everybody loves it. It's a good time. He does lives for every single game. So enjoy. Clark Monroe, I really appreciate any time you give us, my friend. Well, hey, thanks for having me on. And uh, when I saw the list of guests for today's show, I was pretty flattered that I was included. So thanks, guys. Uh, And I would love to do this as much as I can throughout the season. You know, I love coming on here and chatting with you boys. So um my little leafs outlet you guys i like to call that uh after, especially after games some nights uh i need it more than other nights but yeah thanks uh hit me up on the squad cast for sure um me and max are just over a year into the show now but we just launched our own independent youtube channel so that's kind of our main focus right now is getting that off the ground uh so if you guys wouldn't mind if you're listening or watching uh head over and, and give us a subscribe if you can um uh, and uh my name's right below me if you're watching you can go follow me on on twitter instagram whatever TikTok. um and uh, we have some fun so thanks boys uh we can't wait till the next time we get to chat and hopefully it's after a 10 and 0 start or something like that <laughs> there we go all right clark we'll talk to you later my friend all right see you guys all right so that was clark monroe obviously jumping off and our last guest of the evening was originally supposed to be our first, but he had a hockey pool. Then he got back into her. It's going to be the man, the co-host of Six and the Six podcast. It is Alex Hobson. What's going on, boys? Thanks a lot for having me tonight. I'm looking forward to shoot the shit about this fucking hockey team with you guys. Oh, it's I like this a... guy. Let's fucking go. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Hobson coming in guns a blazing. Sir, what is your expectations for the Leafs this year? Obviously, everybody says the regular season doesn't matter, but I know and you know that is incorrect because everybody's fired up. All those comments from back in June where you're burning a jersey, everybody's stitching those things back together, burn holes and all because they're waiting for this team to hit the ice Wednesday night. So what are your expectations, Mr. Hobson? Um, well, just like everybody else, I don't want to sound unoriginal, but I, I'm expecting big things in the regular season. I've got no idea what to expect from them come playoff time. So I'm not even going to begin to try and predict where, where those guys heads will be at by the time they make the playoffs. But, uh, I do think that they're going to come second to the Atlantic division. I think the only team in the, in the Atlantic that really poses a much of a threat to them in the, uh, regular season, at least is Tampa Bay. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I like where their team's at now compared to where it was at the start of last season. I think there's a lot of, um, 
there's a lot of potential compared to last year. I think last year there was a lot, there was more just kind of like safe bets and, you know, bringing in Jumbo Joe, you, you already know what you're going to be getting from him. And Jimmy VC is a bit of a re- reclamation project, but this year, you know, bringing in guys like Michael Bunting, who I think uh, is just starving for a chance to really prove himself in the NHL and Nick Ritchie, who had 15 goals in a shortened season last year. And then Andre Kasha, I think kind of flew under the radar a little bit too, because of, uh, uh, he, he's been battling some injuries in the past and uh, yeah, I'm, so I, 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 I'm pretty fired up. I think they've uh, got a lot to look forward to in the regular season, but yeah, like I said, when the playoffs come around, that's an entirely different story. I'm not even going to begin to predict what they're going to, what, what they're capable of doing by then. So what do they have to do in the regular season for you to go game one of the playoffs? These guys got this because I said, I said last year, I said they got to finish top two in their division. They got to dominate their opponents, and they have to look good in net. Did all three of those things. They go up 3-1, and then they just fucking choke. So what do they have to do this year for you to be like, I think they got this? Or are you not going to buy in until after the first round? I really hate to sound like a negative Nancy man, but I don't think I'm going to buy in until after the first round. Honestly, I think like because I'm in the same boat. Like I want to be positive about this team, and I I got so, an answer. I was so invested in this team last year that it actually like it physically hurt me. Like you could ask Dude. my wife, I was not okay for a couple of days, and she's like, "What's wrong?" I'm like, "Well, the Leafs lost. It's sports. Get over it." I go, no, you don't get it. Like <laughs> yeah, you don't get it unless you're right? in the position. Yeah. And you know what? You 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 raise a great point there, and it's like. I uh, trust me. I believe that this team has the talent to go all the way, but mm-hmm. when we're in the position, like when we were in the position that we were at the end of last season, I mean, you know, bringing in Nick Felino and he had a couple of great games at the start of before he, before that back, yeah, the back issue really started to bug him a little bit. Um, they were atop the North division and there was a point where I was like, okay, this is literally the easiest path to the Stanley cup that these guys could ever ask for. So if they're going to win the cup and I predicted them to win the cup and that's the last time I'm ever doing that. They, I predicted them to win the cup last year. I was like, okay, you got Montreal in the first round. You'll get one of Winnipeg or Edmonton in the second round. So those should be two gimme rounds based on what we've seen from this team so far. And naturally they, they choked and they lost in the first round again. So I like the team could probably go fucking 82 and 0 or something this year. And I still wouldn't buy yeah. in until they actually went around. So I'm excited. Don't get me wrong. And you know, you, you said earlier on in the show that, you know, all these fans that were saying they weren't going to be watching this year and they weren't going to be invested. I remember when the, when the trailer for all or nothing came out, I was like, um, you can show me as many clips of Rasmus Sandin in a race in a race car, or Justin Hall golfing in his backyard or whatever. And I am not, it's going to take a King's ransom to make me watch that documentary. And naturally I watched the whole thing the day it came out. So yeah. I, I I've already come to accept that I'm in a toxic relationship. I'm going to come back and I'm going to be <laughs> dialed in all season long. And I'm probably going to be like that next year and the year after, but um, yeah, playoffs wise, I'm, I'm done trying to make predictions on they, 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 they won't be able to convince me during the regular season that they, that they're, they have what it takes. I'm going to, here's one thing that's going to convince me this regular season. What's one thing. And you guys can both attest to this the past few seasons with the Toronto Maple Leafs. You've never felt comfortable with a lead, whether it be a series lead or a game lead. We've never felt comfortable. We're always waiting for that other shoe to fall this season. I want them to win close games, but I want to feel comfortable as a fan knowing they're going to close that out. I want to see that aspect of their game where they can suck the ever-loving life out of a fucking game and shut it down and absolutely just control it. Whether it's 2-1 and they just can't put the puck in the net for one more, I want to see that because that is something they need to be able to do. Win those close games 
and close it out, but suck the life out of it for the other team because they are so good at letting teams back in, whether it's the back half of the second period or going into the third when they're up. doesn't matter if it's 2, 3, 5, 10, 20 goals. They would find a way to screw it up. This year, I want to see them lock it down on a closed game and suck the effort, love, and life out of the fucking game and then win it. And every time that happens, I want to see them do that. Why? Because that will help you in the playoffs because those are the type of games you play in the playoffs. And if you're able to lock it down like that and play defensively, then there's less chances coming at you when you do have to battle back for one goal. At least you know you can fall back on locking it down to where the score is to elevate yourself. But that is one thing they need to do this year to gain my confidence back as a fan. I want to feel comfortable when you have a lead, whether it's one, two, three, or 20 goals. I want that comfort feeling going in. I don't want the cardiac canes. I want the Maple Leafs to be up by one, suck the life out of it, and win. That will get me back. Because once I see that defensive structure, once I see them shutting teams down and not allowing them to get back into games, that will make me feel better. Because that shows me they've all taken a step. Whether it's Matthews, whether it's Camp, whether it's Nylander, whether it's Tavares, Marner, you name it. That means they're all buying in to what needs to be done to win games. Not pad stats, to win games. That is one thing we didn't talk about a lot tonight, but that is one thing they need to do this season, and that needs to happen from game one. And I guarantee you, we watched that documentary. That's what Sheldon Keefe is preaching. You want Stanley Cup habits. That's a Stanley Cup habit. Sucking the life out of the game when you're winning it, that's what you need to do. Make the other team feel like they cannot come back. But the Leafs have a killer instinct, but they turn it off. When they're up, they think they're going to win, and everything becomes lackadaisical. And next thing you know, you're fishing the puck out of your net in game seven, and you're going the fuck home. So this time, they need to turn it on and keep it on. Game one, game 82, all the way to the Stanley Cup final. That needs to happen, and that'll get me back as a fan because that'll give me confidence to go into a third period up 2-1 and say, no, nah, we got this. They can lock this down. How many teams have you seen that won the Stanley Cup that you know can do that? The Chicago Blackhawks did it. The Pittsburgh Penguins were good at it. The LA Kings were good at it. You know, those teams, when they started rolling, they were good at those things towards the end of the season. Sucking that life of a game, the Leafs didn't do that. The Leafs always let teams back in. And then you're sitting there grabbing your chair or crushing your beer can because you're like, this team's going to freaking blow it. And your heart is just racing. It's fun sometimes, but not every single night. See, there you go. Josh is already stressed. Well, That's the thing is, like, get me back. You, you said something there, and you're like, yeah, I want to see this team win. And sorry to cut you off there, Alex. I, no. the, uh, you want to see this team win close games. They have the talent to win games, 5-1, 6-1. I don't want to see them play a 2-1 game when I know that they could go down and just net one, make it. You know what's harder to come back from than a 2-1 deficit? A 3-1 deficit. Yeah, but here's the thing. This team, between the ears, is mentally fragile. They go up 3-1, and then they shut off. They cruise. But it's that's why you like don't they need to be battle that, tested. That's why you push for that fourth goal. You push for that next goal. You push for that next goal. Don't play in your own end. The worst place to play is your own well, end. Well, I'm not saying play Get in your own end. Out. I'm not saying play in your own end. I'm saying suffocate them. I said just because you can't score another goal doesn't mean you need to be in your other your own end. You can yeah, be down in their end. You can be in the neutral zone. You can be cycling the hell out of that puck and not scoring. But those are things they need to do. They need to suck the life out of the other team. If you're down in your end, then the other team has got all the life in the freaking world because then they're going whirly daisy at your net. No, suck the life out the other way. Keep the possession. Do those things. Hoard the puck. 
do all those smart things that you're supposed to do. And you know what? A 2-1 game, yeah, it sucks for us as fans. But if they can win those close games, that's what happens in the playoffs. Yeah. That's what happens when you go to six OTs and you finally pot one is because you play so much defensive hockey to not give up that screw-up goal. You know, and it ends up being a tired play that ends up happening. Look at Dermott in the playoffs. Oh, okay, give it away. Look at Galchenyuk. That. Those giveaways were mental errors because the pressure was on. You know, those things yeah. suck. That's why I want to see this team come out of the mental fragile stage and be confident in the fact that they're leading and be confident that they can shut another team down even if they can't score one more goal. At least they know they can shut the other team down and they're not getting anything. And the Leafs have not been able to do that. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And I think a perfect example of that game last year, well, not that game, I guess, but I think a perfect game example of that, what, what you're what you're talking about here was that game when they uh, blew the 5-1 lead to Ottawa and lost 6-5. And Sheldon Keefe, and you know what? This is where this was a moment where I really resonated with Sheldon Keefe because you know I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you guys both watched All or Nothing now, or at least yep. some of it. Oh yeah, no, nope, okay. never seen it, <laughs> <laughs> never heard of it. All right, just well, kidding. Yeah, I, I I knew you were full of shit there. Um, but yeah, there was a uh, like there. I remember there was the instance when Ottawa scored that shitty goal at the end of the second period to make it five two, and Sheldon Keefe in that moment knew that they were going to lose that game, and I I, I knew as well. In that moment, I remember watching Ottawa score shorthanded with three seconds left, just such a stupid goal to allow. And they let Ottawa right back into the game because of it. And I knew it's just, you can always tell when the trickle effect starts with this team. When one thing happens, it seems to lead to another, and then that'll lead to another thing. And then all of a sudden the game's wide open and they let their opponent back in it. So I think they got to abandon those habits as soon as possible. And I think a big part of that documentary that really, they really shone a light on Sheldon Keefe was the fact that he could see the flaws in that team early yeah. on in the year, January, February, he was pointing things out. He was like, these are habits we have to abandon. And unfortunately they couldn't abandon those habits in time. So hopefully they're, they're, they're humiliated and embarrassed to the point where they, all they want to do is crush those habits and don't even let them seep back into the atmosphere for this season. And I think to, to answer the question that stemmed this entire discussion, that is what they need to do to in order in order to advance past the first round so for you look at this season i mean obviously we're running heavy on time tonight but i want to get you in for some questions here you look at this team this season for you what are you looking forward to the most we we joke around about the fact that nobody is looking forward to things but what are you looking forward to seeing happen with this squad um honestly more than anything i'm looking forward to seeing how how, how the new guys fit in mm. because kind of like how i said at the start i think you know, Jimmy VC had, he had a little bit of potential. He was kind of a reclamation project, obviously didn't work. You, like I said, you knew what you were getting with Joe Thornton. Um, I think that a lot of, I think all the guys that the Leafs brought in this summer share uh, the idea and they share the mindset that they will not quit and they've got a never ending motor and they will do whatever they can to help their team win. I mean, I, I think, I think every Leaf fan got happy when, uh, Michael Bunting said that he compared his game to Brad Marchand and said that he liked to be a little bit of a rat. I think, you know, I, watching teams with with their own rats do that to the Leafs for years, I think it's, it, it, it would be amazing to see a guy have that kind of mindset on the Leafs. And, you know... Well, the, the thing is, though, like, I can say that I play like Brad Marchand, but you got to go and do it, right? So let's, yeah. let's see what he's got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. But I, I think in the end, it's just the fact that he has that he has that mentality. Yeah, and I for think sure. The more the more people who have that mentality, 
I, I think the better because it, it, as much as we can kind of get that mentality to spread and be contagious throughout all the players, that is ultimately what's going to lead them to having success in the playoffs. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little more high on bunting than most because I, I, I just, I love the sample size. It was pretty small, but I love what he did in Arizona last year. And when you factor that in with an opportunity to play alongside John Tavares or Boston Matthews and playing for his hometown team, I think there's some real boomer bust potential here. And I think that if he doesn't live up to the, the uh, I mean, I guess the hype you can call it that he's been getting from the Toronto media, you're still going to have a guy who's going to go out there and work his ass off every night. So it's a little bit of a win-win situation. And I'm just looking forward to seeing how those, the, the, the mindsets of all those new guys really affect the the core players and the guys mm-hmm. that are, have been facing all the scrutiny this summer. I, I think, you know, you combine the mindsets with the skill sets of the guys that are making $11 million and it's got potential to be a successful team, but it's just a matter of whether or not they can, they, they can translate it to the ice. Yeah. The way I see these new guys, like, especially like the big ones, like Nick, Nick Ritchie coming in, I uh, got cost coming in a bunch of the other guys. They're going to look at our big four and say, I need you to do this so I can do this for you. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a huge thing because if you have a bunch of guys who are known for scoring goals, they're always going to be like, Oh yeah, I'm just going to score goals. Well, who's helping you score those goals? Right. It's not going to be the other guy who's scoring the goals as well. So they're going to help each other out here. I just think this team's got a little bit of a different vibe around it. I'd love to see them through the first 10 games. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if this Leafs team has like five or six wins through their first 10 games, and maybe they're still trying to figure it out. But it also wouldn't shock me if they go nine and one, eight and two, seven, one and two or something like that. I don't know what to expect. They're unpredictable. Yeah, unpredictable. You never know what you're gonna get. And you know what? They can go ten and zero, and nobody would give a fuck because it's like, well, let's see what they can do in you know game game eighty three, game eighty four, game eighty five. But if they go zero and ten, it's like, well, here we go. So success is the only thing that's gonna cure all for this team. Yeah, definitely. Well, Alex, we want to ask you this. We've asked everybody since they jumped on to jump off. So for you, where do Leafs rank here in the Atlantic Division? Obviously, we have Tampa, we have Boston, we have Florida. Everybody else below that doesn't matter. Do they finish fourth, third, second, first? Where do they fall? Don't diss Buffalo like that. (laughs) Yeah, I think they're finishing third behind Buffalo and Detroit. Um, no, uh, hot takes exposed. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can clip that. Uh, that, That's my, that's my hot take for the episode. Um, no, but I, 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 and you know, I, I'm not going to try and be as unbiased as possible. I think they're going to finish second in the division. The reason I say that, I have the reason I say that is because, like you know you can crack all the jokes you want say it was 3-1 say 1967 all that whatever but this team has always been a strong regular season team that's never been that's never been a question and i mean obviously tampa bay they're they, they pretty much remain relatively untouched minus uh uh blake coleman and barkley Goudreau, i guess leaving but they're, they've got more or less the same team they've still got that stacked defensive core they've still got fucking vasilevsky between the pipes so they're no one's overtaking them for the top spot um now, on the other hand, though, Florida, as much as I think they're going to be a threat this year and I think they're going to finish top three, I think their goaltending situation is still a little bit suspect for me. I think if Spencer Knight uh, proves that he can he can do what he did in his little sample size last year over the course of a full season, I think that they have they, they could definitely challenge the Leafs for that second place spot. And in terms of Boston, their, their team does not really excite me that much on paper, but I still have them finishing in a playoff spot because that's what Boston does. They always, yep. they, they always kind of catch you off guard and then they show up and they perform when it matters most. So 
Uh, I, I think second place is a good assessment for them just because you know they're a strong regular season team. You know that you're going to have Matthew scoring goals. Uh, I think Marner's going to have a big rebound season. I think he's probably pretty pissed off and sick of hearing about uh, you know, whether he's overpaid or the least should trade him to shake it up and stuff. Like, I think he's probably sick of hearing about all that. So no, I maybe think we're going to see a ball, bud, and you'd be fine. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. So I, I think he's going to have a big bounce back. Well, not bounce back, I guess, but he's going to have a big regular season. And uh, yeah, I, I, I think they've got the skill to finish second, but again, the playoffs are a completely different story. So yeah, we'll see what happens when we get to the playoffs, but I have not finishing first myself. I think the Tampa Bay hangover is going to be real this year. Uh, 82 games is a long slag for everybody. It's a little bit different than 56 and coming out of a bubble. So uh, I look at the Leafs going first. But, hey, Alex, it's great having you on. Throughout the season, we'll have to have you back on for a longer, maybe after a game or something like that, talk. But uh, you are a contributor for the Hockey Writer and, of course, the co-host of the 6 and the 6 podcast. Check out both of those and be sure to follow this man. He is 51 followers away from the 1K mark. Let's get this man there. Alex Hobson to 1K. Let's do it. So there we have it. That was Alex Hobson from the 6 and the 6 podcast. My friend, 6 up, 6 down. Great guests all the way through. Tons of Leafs chatter. This one is going to be a banger to put up. Absolutely bomb. Um, ladies and gentlemen, this is Offside Hockey Talk, where hockey comes to talk, mainly about the Toronto Maple Leafs. But Wednesday night, we will see you there. Saturday nights, maybe after the game. But let's go, Leafs, go. 